Welcome to the XEGS Card by Card podcast, the first and only podcast covering Atari's last answer to the 8-bit gaming system. In episode 4, we fill our pockets with quarters and head back to the arcade to play classics like Donkey Kong and the homebrew Pac-Man Arcade. We also revisit Atari's original take on Pac-Man to see how it sizes up. Finally, we've got two budget games, the top-down space shooter Warhawk, and we'll see if we can hit a bullseye with the pub dark game 180. Now here's our four ex-egos, Bill, David, Kieran, and Michael. Welcome to episode four of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. It's been a while since our last episode due to summer vacations, family time, and just fun in the sun. But now that fall is approaching, it's time to get back to business. We hope our little interview episode was enough to get you that XEGS fix in the meantime. And now it's time for the news with Bill. So yeah, we, uh, we had a great time uh, recording our last episode with Kieran, and he's agreed to join us as a regular co-host of the show. So I guess for now the four exigos, um, uh, maybe we need a new nickname. We've also um, uh, modified our rating system. Uh, when we first created our rating system, our goal was to ensure we were able to cover every aspect of the game. And later we realized that uh, some areas were a bit too specific and would affect the score more than was preferred. So we made some slight modifications. We've continued to improve in this area, so we present to you our latest and hopefully final version of the system. Graphics. This covers a visual experience of the game and how much effort the developer put into leveraging the graphics capabilities of the Atari. Sound and music. This covers the complexity and creativity of the auditory sensation. Gameplay. This covers how fluidly the player is able to interact with the game, how engrossing the game is to the player, and if the game offers multiple challenges, which would strengthen continued playing interest. Presentation. This covers non-gameplay aspects of the game, such as box cover art, uh, descriptions on the box, in-game intros uh, and cutscenes, and any of the features that gave depth to the end product. And then the overall score is basically an average of the above. Um, in other news, um, the Atari 5200 Super Podcast is no more, um, but a new one has been formed by our very own David, uh, as well as Captain Bob, who had contributed to the original podcast. You can check them out on Facebook right now at the Atari 5200 Podcast. Um, we'll have a link in the show notes. And there's also an Atari Age forum thread for updates on upcoming episodes uh, where they welcome your feedback. And link in the show notes as well. Congrats, David. Thank um, you. Yeah, and by the way, uh, the original podcast hosted by William Arke um, has been archived over at the Inter- Internet Archive. So you can uh, click the link in the notes to find that as well. All right, so David, what else have you been doing since we last met? Well, well, well. Okay. So for those that have been listening to this podcast since episode zero, you know that I love to collect retro 8-bit consoles and games. And that before starting this podcast, I had got rid of my Atari 5200 in television and ColecoVision stuff. I ended up getting an XCGS system and started this podcast, which has been a great success thanks to my great co-hosts. Uh, I have to say people don't know how much work there is behind the scenes, and Bill you are going to direct my next movie. <laughs> now, unfortunately, uh, I had suffered a relapse and fell off the wagon. And I got back, as some as some of you may have known, I got back into ColecoVision. And you remember I got the ColecoVision, the F-18 modded ColecoVision, and also picked up a Vectrex. And all I got to say is, man, when I get into something, I dive right into the deep end of the pool. Anyway, uh, somehow recently I've been able to, I had a self-induced collectaholic purge. The ColecoVisions are gone with all their associated paraphernalia. I am back to focusing on Atari and Commodore 
Uh, but I am keeping the Vetrex uh, for me uh, because uh, what I like about that is when I play uh, games like uh, Asteroids, Clones, and and great homebrew games like Vectrexians, it really gives me that 80s arcade, arcade vector feel that only you know a vector screen can do, right? right. So for now, uh, that's going to stay. Now, if any reason I should ever consider getting back into ColecoVision or Intellivision, I give permission to all my co-hosts to immediately start an intervention. <laughs> and anybody on eBay or Facebook is not to sell anything to me. <laughs> anyway, okay. Well, now that I've got that out of the way, I recently reached out to a good buddy, Captain Bob, who, like I, was a former contributor to the Atari 5200 Super Podcast. And as we both still had a passion for the 5200, we both decided to join forces and we'll be starting a new Atari 5200 podcast, as mentioned earlier. So in prep for that, I had to rebuy all my 5200 stuff. I ended up winning a boxed four port 5200 on ebay for 13 dollars us wow <laughs> of course shipping was close to 80 dollars oh us <laughs> and i had about 40 dollars in canadian import duties oh, <laughs> but still you should have just got a jaguar at that rate I mean, come well, on. <laughs> but it still ended up a great deal as these things are scarce here in canada and you don't exactly fall over them as you do in the US of A. But it still ended up being a great deal. And this time, the 5200 has a permanent place in my home. And uh, I also got the legendary CX-53 Atari trackball. I picked up a Master Play clone by Atari Guy 1021 again. I was able to pick up a 5200 S-Video modded console from a great Atari Age member uh, known as Grips03. He also sells a great Genesis to Atari 7800 adapter. Look him up. That's a plug. I also got from him uh, a rebuilt uh, Atari 5200 controller with the gold contacts a la Best Electronics. So for a good price. And anyway, our first Atari 5200 podcast should record next week. And we plan to have lots of guests on the show uh, so, of course, all the crew of this podcast have an open invitation to pop by anytime. Sweet. Okay. And I just want to also uh, bring some attention to a great Atarian known as Nir Derry. Uh, he's from Israel, uh, whose video about the ultimate cart we had recently linked on our uh, Facebook page for our listeners to view. Uh, he also has his own YouTube channel by the same name. So take a look at his link in the show notes. A lot of interesting videos. And Michael, how about you? Well, uh, for those who know, uh, Washington doesn't get very much sun throughout the year. And we're pretty much coming to the end of summer. So uh, I was able to get some camping in and a lot of yard work. Uh, but uh, the big, uh, big trip I took was uh, to Disney World again. And that's about a five-hour flight. So uh, I got a chance to watch a couple of movies on the plane. Uh, Captain America, the latest one. That was pretty good. I enjoyed that. And then uh, Batman versus Superman. I didn't think that was as bad as everybody gave it. I mean, you know, I could see some plot holes, but 
it was still in, enjoyable. And then The Revenant, and that that movie, you know, I think it got nominated for an Academy Award or something like that. It was so long. I was just like it kept going and going. So, but it was you know it was a decent movie. But uh, so anyway, and the other things too. Uh, if some people have followed me on uh, Facebook, they probably know. But kind of interesting. Uh, we were staying in a hotel that Steven Tyler, lead singer Aerosmith, was staying at. He was in the, actually the presidential suite, going under the name um, uh, Thurston Howell the Third. From uh, you guys are familiar with? Oh my! Oh yeah! <laughs> lovely, lovely, yeah. From uh, you know the millionaire from Gilligan's Island, and then. Um, we went to a couple of the parks, and uh, one of the first parks, uh, Animal Kingdom, uh, we ran right to the, 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 the most popular ride there, which is Expedition Everest, and they had it closed. And they said, well, it's mechanical problems. Come to find out they're filming uh, an ABC uh, TV show there, uh, Blackish, so that we, we did some other stuff and came back, and they were still doing some filming, so I saw that. And then a couple of days later, we're going on one of the rides in Epcot Center, and sure enough – Blackish is filming again, so it's slowing everything down. But the cool thing was is that uh, we jumped in the car. Um, we were on the um, uh, test track, which is just – if you don't know about test track, essentially it's a high speed. You get in this car, and it's a high speed track. Uh, you go on, and uh, we were right behind him the whole way, and I got some pictures of him and stuff. And so we hop out, and we you know, we get up to where they uh, have an area where they take your picture. And sure enough, I look over, and my daughter sees uh, the Blackish crew in their car and snags the picture. So we got a little, uh, little uh, souvenir from that. And uh, then as far as my new acquisitions, I was able to get uh, somebody uh, – sorry, I'm going to pronounce his name – L Wizard L. He told me that's how he pronounces it. It gave me a Dig Dug and Galaga for the uh, 7800. Uh, I also got a Ball Blazer uh, box for the 7800 from uh, our uh, our uh, Pac-Man arcade developer Tep392. And I was lucky to pick up a 130XE, which is my second computer uh, I ever had, a 1050, I never had one, and a 1027, all in their boxes, and a couple of floppies. I think there was like a couple of ones in their rare. Uh, the guy is out in, um, guy that sold to me, uh, out in Spanaway, which is about a good 45 minutes from where I live in, um, in Kent. And I went to his garage and he's got, he's chock full of knit retro stuff, arcade machines, computers, um, Nintendo, you know, I mean, just tons of stuff. I said, let me know your information and I will tell everybody about it. But he hasn't gotten back to me, so I don't know if he's slipping under the radar or what, but. Yeah, he had so much stuff, and he's selling it all. He, I guess, he sold a batch for like twenty thousand dollars the other day. So, wow, yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, it was pretty impressive. And he said when his wife wanted him to cut down a little bit. He had some uh, sort of rare items. He had a Nintendo TV. I'd never even heard of one before. Uh, but yeah, he had a ton of stuff, and and I, I just you know hopefully if anybody's local or he starts getting online and selling this stuff, maybe he'll make it available to the rest of us. But, but that's about it for me. What about you, Bill? Actually, I'm curious. You said that you didn't have a 1050 uh, when you had Atari back in the the good old days. Did you did you not have any floppy drives? No, I had an Indus. Or oh, yeah, okay. yeah. I, I was going to get the 810 uh, back, you know, and then um, I then the Indus came out and it looked so cool. Uh, and then right afterwards, yeah. my buddy got a 1050 and got the doubler in it, so it was so much faster. Mm. And I was like, I was envious at him because <laughs> I went, I've got double density. He's got yeah, but I can load games in a split second. I went, nice. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, as for me, um, as I'm sure you've heard a bazillion times, I was holding my uh, Atari party uh, here in California, and um, that was a great success. We had over 50 systems on hand, uh, brought by about two dozen volunteers, including myself, of course. Um, we had tons of prizes that were given away. Um, and in the end, I counted uh, the little giveaway raffle ticket thingies 
and over 180 people showed up just based on that. So I'm sure there were even more, probably closer to 200 people uh, during the show. So that was pretty cool. Uh, we'll have a link in the notes to uh, the page where I've posted a bunch of photos taken by myself and others so you can see what it was like. Um, then I took a road, uh, road trip up to Michael's uh, neck of the woods up in Washington to visit some in-laws. Um, and while I was up there, I discovered a few um, a few shops with retro games. Uh, for the first time, I saw Lynx in the Wild. Um, I also saw, of course, tons of 2600 games, uh, even some 5200 games, and a couple of 8-bit cartridges, which kind of surprised me. Um, I ended up buying a couple Sega Genesis games, but don't fear, they were Atari. It was uh, Road Blasters and Hard Driving, um, both of which I've only had a little chance to play with, because every time I pop anything into any system, my four-year-old just kind of like, he, he can hear it from across the house. Oh, what's this? I want to play. So, uh, <laughs> and then he gets Kids. frustrated, and by then it's bedtime, yeah. Um <laughs> So uh, the day after the show, I ended up filling in for uh, Brad Arnold um, in a recent episode of the Antic Podcast. So we, we talked a lot about what happened at the Atari party. And then uh, for those who missed it, um, I was also interviewed by Ferg, the podfather, uh, on the uh, Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast uh, before holding the party. So um, if you wanted to hear what I was expecting and then what actually happened, I guess just listen to those two in, <laughs> in order of when they came out. So uh, And yeah, we'll have links in the show notes to those. Well, Bill, I wanted to tell you it was a very enjoyable um, in- interview that you did with uh, Ferg. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, he edited it really well because we just kind of like sat down and I just started rambling and it went every single direction and see how somehow made it coherent. He must have like taken something from 15 minutes and then pulled it back and then intermixed some other stuff to make it actually flow like a real conversation. So you did a great job. Well, thanks. Um, And yeah, thanks again to Ferg for having me on. All right. uh, Kieran, what have you been up to? Well, um, I have been um, super busy over the last few months, um, but most of it uh, hasn't been very gaming related. Um, but there is some some good stuff in here too. So, firstly, um, at the end of uh, July, I co-hosted uh, Revival 2016, um, the UK's biggest uh, retro gaming event. I've been involved in it for a few years now, and uh, as always, I had a massive Atari area set up. So we had. Um, every Atari machine, including a couple of um, Zegs consoles there. We had Atari arcade machines as well, um, as well as just about everything else you can think of. And uh, one of the, 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 the more interesting things we did was we actually linked um, an Atari ST up to an Amiga for uh, some cross-platform play, play. So we had um, Stunt Car Racer running on the ST um, and Amiga, so you could play against each other. Um, Lotus 2 um, as well and um, it was a lot of fun everyone a lot of people couldn't even believe that it was possible so I was gonna uh, say it's like crossing crossing the beams right I oh mean, yeah you're gonna, you're gonna cause cause the universe to collapse in on itself yeah beams. it ended up being a pretty big attraction we ended up getting a pretty big crowd round and it was something we just kind of thought about doing and then afterwards we thought we've got to do this properly next time and have it like set up in a natural area or something um, but I, I've got uh, on my YouTube channel, um, uh, Laird's Lair, for those who don't know, I've got videos of the actual events. So you can have a look and see what was going on there. And I've also got videos of the uh, the uh, link-up play as well. Um, yeah, I watched, with the ST. So I've got those up on the YouTube channel as well. So you can have a look how that turned out. It was pretty funny. So they are worth watching just for the uh, the, the crazy commentary alone, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I watched that on. I watched your uh, the the video, and I was very surprised that uh, you guys said the ST version uh, was faster than the Amiga version, 
which, you know, I mean, the ST's a great machine. It just sometimes the Amiga seems to outpace it. So that was that was interesting. Yeah, the ST can push polygons better than the Amiga because the uh, the custom chips in the Amiga don't have any advantage when it comes to polygons. Oh. So um, the, the faster clock speed of the ST. Gotcha. Um, also, the way the ST draws the screen is quicker as well. So the ST actually has quite a considerable um, speed advantage when it comes to 3D games. So the ST actually had to slow itself down to keep to, <laughs> to, to, uh, to keep in sync with the Amiga. Mm. That's hilarious. Which is very interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah the Amiga fanboys hated that. It's yeah. really funny. So it's all in the video, and it's very, very funny. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if you're an ST or an Amiga fan, I suggest watching those. Uh, they, were, they, were, they were very funny. And the two teams of guys we had playing the games as well, we had some ST fans and some Amiga fans, so it was really good. Um, it worked out really well. That's cool. Yeah, I suppose my biggest news again it was it was non-gaming related as I said. I took up a big a big part of the last month was I um I got married at the beginning of August. So um that was pretty amazing and uh Yay! yeah, and congratulations. <laughs> and then I was away for a couple of weeks on my honeymoon in Tenerife. So um yeah, uh, it's all been back back to normal now, but um, it's been a pretty um, a, a crazy time of things, as you can imagine, planning that and paying for it and everything like that. Um, but I still had some time to get some other things done. I did start a new YouTube series uh, looking at how arcade conversions um, on the Atari 8-bit compared against the arcade originals. So I show gameplay from both the arcade version, then the Atari 8-bit version afterwards. So you can compare them directly. And for those interested, I've also done a similar set of videos for the uh, ZX Spectrum and the Amstrad CPC. And I plan to do a few more um, for the other 8-bit systems as well in due course when I get time. So, uh, yeah, so that, that they've gone down pretty well as well. They've been pretty popular. So um, if you like your arcade games, check them out. And... Also on YouTube, I've added um, quite a few more uh, chiptune challenge episodes as well. So if you like your uh, your pokey music, go and check those out. And uh, on to some other little bits. Uh, next month's Retro Gamer is one to check out um, uh, for Atari fans because I'm doing an article on a company called Beyond Games. Um, for those who aren't familiar with them, they're probably most famous for doing... Uh, Lynx and Jaguar stuff because they did um, Battle Wheels on the Lynx and Ultra Vortec on the Jaguar, probably two of their most famous games. But the uh, the guy who actually uh, founded the company, he started off doing um, Atari 8-bit games, which is really interesting to find out. So in the article, hmm. it does um, talk quite a bit about the um, Atari 8-bit at the beginning um and obviously what he learned from programming that machine and his general love of atari as well um so he's a very um chris johnson is his name i should mention his name i suppose but chris johnson is a very very passionate guy he's um the company's still going today under the t- name of wild works interactive and he's uh yeah it was it was a really he was a really interesting guy to interview so um yeah i think it'll it'll be a good article and uh, last of all on the news, um, I don't know if you guys have seen, but um, a new game came out literally in the last few days as we're recording this called Atari Blast. It was previously known as GT Blast, but now it's called Atari Blast. And uh, it's being worked on for, uh, I think, a, a couple of years now, actually. Um, but it's an amazing uh, shoot 'em up that combines vertical stages and horizontal stages. It switches between them. It also... Uh, 
has tributes to lots of other, you know, really famous arcade shooters. There's um, levels based on uh, Xevious, um, R-Type. There's um, a tribute to the Atari robot demo in there. There's um, Blue Max, Rescue and Fractalus, Asteroids, all sorts of stuff. Zaxxon. Yeah, Zaxxon, yeah. Um, and it's pretty amazing. Um, but I was quite excited to see it. And uh, la- last night, actually, um, I attended a... Um, a retro gaming night at the Centre for Computing History um, in Cambridge over here. It's a great, really great museum. So if you are in the UK and you haven't visited the Centre for Computing History, you really should do because it's an amazing place, all run for charities. It's all, you know, donations and stuff. They keep it going. And that's why they run these events to sort of help raise money to keep them going. But um, I uh, put it on my Atari Max cart and um, took it along and stuck it on one of the, um, the XEs they actually had set up there. And uh, everyone was was absolutely blown away by it. So if you haven't checked out um, Atari Blast, you definitely should do because it's a absolutely absolutely incredible game. Really one of the the, the best homebrews I've um, I've seen in a very long time. Now, Kieran, um, will this be eventually available as a cart, or is this this something that people will just be downloading? I'm not entirely sure. They've they've put the image out for free. I mean, that's that's all I saw, um, and I you know I hastily downloaded it and and so put it on a cart. But um, I I think they would be silly not to do a commercial release out of it because it's that good. You know, mm-hmm. they really should they really should do that. It, it really looks like like a pretty good shooter in terms of having some upgrades and stuff. Because I I did a review for Antic on a number of the side scrolling shooters that came out recently. Um, because to me, like, the NES had a lot of really good ones, and obviously the arcade had some good ones. The Atari ones were, you know, kind of so-so mm. and never really never really got it quite that good until lately. Um, so th- this one looks really good. They actually sent me a, um, a demo of it last year for Atari Party. They basically said, I'll send you an Atari Max cart with, with a copy of the game on it if you, uh, if you demo it. So, and I got to keep the cart, so <laughs> that was really nice of them. Um, but yeah, yeah, I also just noticed it was out, and, and uh, I think my response was, holy homages! <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure, but I think there also was a 5200 version of it. They were definitely developing one, but um, I'm not sure if they have released that, because the 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 Atari 8-bit version does use up a whole um, 8-meg Atari Max cart. Sure, sure. I just think I remember having that when I used to have the 5200 mm. before. I now have the 5200 again. I just remember mentioned. thinking that I had mm. that uh, I had w- uh, that file on it, and it wasn't like a completed game, but it was really um, psychedelic. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's really impressive. I'm looking at it right now on on YouTube, and it's just wow, excellent. Yep, use all all the graphics yeah, modes. Use them all. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It, I mean, I did. It, uh, it does 320 by 200. I think it's got some real high resolution wow. ones, as, as well as the GTI ones. It's an so. absolutely perfect example of what the Atari can do that the other 8 bits can't. It's an, yeah. you know, it's a tribute to Atari, basically, really. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. No, but you know what? Atari needs something like that because you know a lot of the other computers they they get so much coverage and so much mm. focus. And uh, we know that the Atari is the best computer. We know that already. And, uh, you know, it was, was, was beyond its time. It was, uh, when it came out in 1979, um, really it had a lot of horsepower. It was, uh, it had the multi chips. It had the dedicated chips. It really was an, uh, an awesome computer for 1979. So. 
Oh, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, and don't forget, like when the Commodore 64 came out, that came out in 82. Yeah, three so that, years later. That, that's already like four years really, later. Yeah, it still didn't really improve in the Atari in many ways. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so David, speaking of you. All right. Tell us, tell us about Pac-Man Arcade. And, uh, before you get into that, for, for those who missed it, um, as mentioned before, you did an interview with the author and that was posted as our, uh, first kind of special interview only episode. So go dig that up and listen to it if you haven't yet. But, uh, but with that, let's hear about it. Okay, so, uh, we're going to be uh, reviewing Pac-Man Arcade today, and as uh, Bill had said, I had the honor of uh, interviewing um, um, Perry uh, on our interview episode. He's a great guy, and uh, just just so people know, Pac-Man Arcade is not his only thing that he's created. He's also created some some people may know uh, DK uh, 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 Donkey Kong PK for the Atari 7800. So he basically took um, Donkey Kong for the 7800 that apparently has horrific sound effects and music, and he uh, poke and he uh, pokerized it. Oh, cool! Yeah, and uh, but he also has a, a Donkey Kong XM version that will work one day when the XM for the 7800 comes out, and that will have pokey uh, music and stuff like that. So he's done other things as well. So anyway, uh, obviously the name of this game is Pac-Man Arcade. It's uh, the 8-bit version is self-published by Perry Tente, and uh, you can uh, get a copy by contacting him through a thread in Atari Age. Also, uh, the version for the 5200 Pac-Man Arcade for the 5200 is published by good old Atari Age. And you can go onto their website and purchase a copy of your for your 5200 if that's what you have versus an 8-bit. Um, it started being published uh, approximately since 2012, and it continues to the present. Uh, the genre, I'd probably call it a homebrew maze maze game. And uh, so the original developer, uh, since this is based off of the 1983 Miss Pac-Man version. So the original developer would have been Atari Inc. And as I said, Perry Tinty, uh, who's also known as TEP392, along with contributions from Mr. Fish, uh, helped develop uh, this Pac-Man arcade hack of Miss Pac-Man. And the label artwork was done by John Atari Boy Calcano. There is no box at this time uh, for the game, but hopefully in the future somebody may design one. So let's take a look at the description of the 5200 version off of Atari Age, since they are essentially the same game. So the description goes, Keep Pac-Man alive. This is the sensational game that took the world by storm. Help Pac-Man eat up the dots and defy the ghosts as you guide him through the maze. Gobble dots, energy pills, fruit, ships, bells, keys, and ghosts to score points. Eat all the dots on the screen and the maze starts all over. Score 10,000 points and earn a bonus Pac-Man. And from my understanding, you only get one uh, bonus Pac-Man per game. So the first 10,000 gets you a bonus Pac-Man. After that, that's it. Uh, while the original 5200 uh, Pac-Man was an excellent rendition of the arcade game, 
We have taken it further to give you one of the best Pac-Man experiences you can have on a classic console. The maze has been updated to be more in scale with the arcade version. All graphics and sounds have been updated. Gameplay elements have been given attention as well. Uh, so speeds, ghost tracking behaviors, energizer bonus times are all identical to the original arcade. This is an arcade experience at home. So let's discuss Pac-Man fundamentals. The player guides Pac-Man up, down, left and right through a maze filled of dots to gobble them up. Four ghosts are also in the maze and chase after Pac-Man, trying to corner and kill him. The goal is to clear the maze of all dots while avoiding the deadly ghosts. Each round starts with the ghosts in the monster pen. That's that square box in the middle, at the center of the maze, emerging from it to join in the chase. If Pac-Man is captured by a ghost, a life is lost. The ghosts are returned to their pen, and a new Pac-Man is placed at the starting position before play continues. When the maze is cleared of all dots, the board is reset, the new round begins. If Pac-Man gets caught by a ghost when he has no extra lives, the game is over. You can increase your score each round when Pac-Man eats one of the four Energizer dots located in the corners of the maze. The ghosts reverse their direction and, in early levels, turn the same shade of blue for a short period of time before returning to their normal colors. While blue, they can be gobbled up for extra points. After being eaten, a ghost's eyes will return to the monster pen where it is resurrected, exiting once again to chase our poor Pac-Man. The first ghost eaten is always worth 200 points. Each additional ghost captured from the same energizer then will be worth twice as much points as the one before it. For example, 400, 800, 1600 points. Pac-Man can increase his score by eating bonus symbols or fruit that appear directly below the monster pen twice each round for additional points. Now, ghosts have three mutually exclusive modes of behavior they can be in during play. Chase, scatter, and frightened. Each mode has a different objective and goal to be carried out. So let's discuss chase mode. In chase mode, the ghost's objective is to find and capture Pac-Man by hunting him down. Each ghost exhibits unique behavior when chasing Pac-Man, giving them different personalities. Blinky, who is the color red, is very aggressive and is hard to shake once he gets behind you. Pinky, being the color pink, tends to get in front of you and cut you off. Inky, who's a light blue, is the least predictable and can act as Blinky, Pinky, or Clyde. Clyde, who is the color orange, seems to stay out of the way. He moves at the same speed as Inky and Pinky and tends to separate himself from the other ghosts. Clyde acts based on his proximity to Pac-Man. So let's discuss scatter mode. The ghosts give up the chase for a few seconds and head for their respective home corners. It is for a brief period before they will revert to chase mode again. Frighten mode. When Pac-Man eats one of the four energizers located in the far corners of the maze, the ghosts will all turn dark blue and aimlessly wander the maze for a brief period. Soon they will start flashing before returning to their previous mode of behavior. After you complete every few levels, an intermission animation will play.
gain a bonus life one up at 10,000 points. In August, we posted an interview that I did with Perry, covering Perry's history programming Atari's, his motivation for making the game, how it differs from Atari's 1982 version for the 400, 800, and the 5200, and its similarities and differences to the original arcade game. Please take a look at the link on the show notes to listen to that episode. Now, there is an Easter egg in the Atari 8-bit version, but it's not in the Atari 5200 version. Perry didn't tell me exactly how you trigger this Easter egg, but he gave us a hint. He said you need to type something on the keyboard. It's nothing obscure, and it should be easy to guess. You should type it when the animated menu screen is active. For any listeners out there that discover this Easter egg, please let us know how you did it and what was the result. We'd love to hear about it. So what are the differences between Pac-Man Arcade and Atari's original 1982 Pac-Man? Well, ghosts now have eyes that also change shape from round to angle depending on what direction they're going. Pac-Man is now able to corner his turns. He does not have to wait until he reaches the middle of a turn to change direction as the ghosts do. Instead, he may start turning before he reaches the center of the turn. This technique is known as cornering. For every successful cornering maneuver, Pac-Man puts a little more distance between himself and any ghosts following close behind. I myself have never been able yet to do this. I'm still practicing. If anybody has been able to do this, please let us know. Does anybody know if, if any other um, original like 1980 era um, home versions of Pac-Man uh, included the cornering feature? Because it's something that I didn't really think about until playing this one and realizing that it, that it does feel different than the arcade. Or, I'm sorry, than the, uh, the 8-bit version. As far as I know right now with the information I have... I don't think so. I think this actually, this version is the first version to actually on the 8-bit to have that uh, cornering uh, feature. Cool. Well, now all the Pac-Mans need to be updated. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. I need a new version of Junior Pac-Man for my 2600 that has cornering. <laughs> I will put it on your wish list. Uh, now, the maze shape is also now closer to the arcade. It's actually more or less squarish, like a square, versus the wide rectangle that originally was on the 8-bit version of Pac-Man. Although the arcade is actually a tall rectangle, meaning it's taller than it's wide, uh, the square is still not a bad compromise. Ghosts now follow the rules of the arcade. Since the aspect ratio of the screen is different, it means that the patterns used in the original arcade cannot be used with Pac-Man Arcade, this does open up the possibility for new patterns to be discovered. The game has also been updated to have the arcade font for the score and etc. versus the Atari OS font. Sound effects and music are closer now to the arcade original. Now, if you have this game on the Atari Max Flash cart, you have an extra bonus feature of high score saving. So if you have the Atari 5200 version, your high score is erased once you shut the game off. But um, with a collaboration with Steven Tucker of Atari Max and uh, Perry, uh, they've added a routine so that it will save your high score, which is pretty good. You might notice that only one fruit counter level appears inside for each level completed. While in the arcade, as you went through the levels, more and more fruits would end up filling up the whole row. So that's a little bit different between the Pac-Man arcade and the original arcade version. 
And um, now, Michael, uh, I remember I was speaking to you about this earlier. Do you know exactly why uh, most likely this version doesn't have all the fruits appearing as the arcade one does? No, the original uh, Pac-Man on the Atari does have all the fruit at the bottom. So they, each level. they stack up? They do oh, stack. Yeah, and, and you're right about the horizontal blanks. You'd have to do it, so it's a lot of trickery. Could have been done, but you know it's probably a lot of work for them. Or, or they could all be black and white or some horrible shades of whatever. <laughs> well, if you look at Miss Pac-Man, the fruit are green, so that's even worse. <laughs> so I'm fine with one fruit at the bottom. Okay, no problem. Also, on your Atari XCGS uh, console, the select button chooses between one and two player. And the option button selects the level of difficulty. And is a difficulty level that's just the beginning level of the maze that you start on, so cherry versus whatever? Yeah, that's right. So, um, Bill, what is the legacy of this game? Oh, Pac-Man? Yeah, you know, they decided to make a few other versions after that first one uh, basically blew up the world back in 1980. Um, so there was Miss Pac-Man, uh, which was originally called Crazy Auto, and it was an unofficial, unofficial Pac-Man arcade um, hack by GCC, which uh, we later know went on to make, uh, basically design the Atari 1700 and, and do a lot of games for that system. Um, but it ended up being an official game uh, from Bali Midway, which was the U.S. distributor of Namco's original Pac-Man. Um, they were basically impatient for the official sequel, which was going to be Super Pac-Man. And there's some dispute, which I don't know the full story, uh, but some dispute exists, at, uh, exists as to whether Namco knew about and approved of Miss Pac-Man or was mad when they discovered it. So um, I'll have a link to the Miss Pac-Man uh, <laughs> Wikipedia page in the uh, in the show notes. Um, there were a few more unofficial games by Bally, including Baby Pac-Man, which was a combination pinball and Pac-Man video game. Loved it. I never played that. Actually, uh, I might have played that one, but it would have been recently in for just a brief moment. Um, Professor Pac-Man, which was a quiz game. Oh, boy. Um, and then <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Junior Pac-Man, which uh, was Pac-Man with a wider maze yeah. that involved horizontal scrolling. Um, and then there were, of course, many more Pac-Man games by Namco going all the way up till today, basically. Um, Pac-Man Plus uh, had tweaked graphics, different bonus items like Coke Can um, and a green maze instead of blue. Super Pac-Man, which involved keys and locked doors and another power-up that made Pac-Man gigantic Pac-Man, which you actually see in the um, uh, one of the early intermissions in the original arcade game. So it's kind of like a hilariously large Pac-Man chomping around the screen. Pac-Land, which is a side-scrolling platform game because, of course, back then, every game had to turn into a side-scrolling platform game. Um... Pac-Mania, which was a uh, kind of pseudo-3D oblique view um, of a – basically, there's a Pac-Man game that scrolls, but it's just – it looks cooler. It kind of looked like Legos to me, I remember. Um, and then countless other sequels and spin-offs. and I remember having a PlayStation game where you actually – it was like jumping around 3D, kind of like Laura Croft, but you were Pac-Man. Um, and then uh, one of the recent uh, ones, which was actually a big hit, is called Pac-Man 256, which you can get for um, Apple iOS – Android, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. And it's based on the infamous kill screen, uh, level 256 of the original 1980 arcade game. You're basically trying to get through a Pac-Man arcade screen as graphical glitches are taking over the screen. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. cool. That's yeah, a great it's, idea. It's, it's, very it's, good. It's a very interesting idea. And I, I very kind of good. That they did that, yeah. It's a very right. good game. It's, it's also got a Pac-Mania mode on it. Because it's isometric like Pac-Mania, and you can actually, on the options, select a Pac-Mania mode. 
Oh, like, oh it's sweet. Like a so it's quite heavily based on Pac-Mania as well. But, yeah. Wow. But also, going back, a little fact there about, you mentioned Pac-Land and said about every game had to be a side-scroller. Um, a lot of people don't realise Pac-Land predates Super Mario Brothers. So a lot of people, so, uh, a lot of people incorrectly say that Super Mario Brothers was the first um, scrolling platform game. It wasn't anywhere close to being the first, and Pac Pac Land came out quite a, a while before it. Oh well, like uh, like Go- uh, Ghosts and Goblins would have been a pretty early one as well, right? In the arcade, or, yeah, or but, then yeah. then you had like your 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 move right and fight games like Double Dragon yeah. and stuff. I can't remember the years, but yeah. Um, okay, cool. All right, uh, so moving on to our own reviews. Um, David, back to you. Okay, so on to my a personal review of this game. Now, for graphics, I gave it a 9. I think the graphics are great. Now, they're not as bright or as intense as the arcade, but they're pretty close. It doesn't quite got that arcade glow. I don't know if people know what I'm talking about, but... Yeah, I think uh, you, want to, you want to fiddle with your contrast knob on your TV is what you want to do. <laughs> Great, to make me even look more incompetent than I already am. Anyway, sound and music, I give it a 9. It sounds closer to the arcade versus the 1982 Atari 8-bit version, giving that real arcade feel. The music feels faster than the original Atari 8-bit version. Gameplay, I'm giving it a 10. Hands down, best Pac-Man version on the Atari 8-bit computers and home consoles. The gameplay logic and behavior of the arcade is all here. Just the shape of the maze and the number of dots prevents it from being spot on. Presentation, I'm going to give it a 10. It's got an awesome splash screen. It's got intermissions. It's got a good attract mode. And if a box ever comes out, it'll certainly be a 10 out of 10 as far as presentation goes. Overall, I'm going to give this game a 9 out of 10. It's not a perfect 10, but it's darn close. And it's a must-buy for any Atari or Pac-Man fan alike. The reason I don't give this game a rating of 10 overall is because, unfortunately, due to the shape of the maze, you can't use the original Pac-Man arcade uh, patterns. But you still have all the logic and the behaviors there. So if it just had that, if it was just able to have those patterns this game would be a 10 hands down. But until maybe Perry goes back to it and maybe tweaks it again, uh, for now I'm giving it a 9 out of 10, and it's a must-buy. That, that version. Michael, what did you think about? Uh, I was going to say, that, that, that version, we'd all have to turn our uh, monitor sideways. I, for one, welcome this. <laughs> <laughs> so what did I think these games? Well, first of all, I'll, I'll just say that a lot of times I'll, I'll use other things to compare it to. So obviously we've got the arcade version of uh, the game to use as well as the um, the original uh, Pac-Man for the 8-bit. And uh, in this case, I'll jump back and forth between the two when I'm doing the comparison. But uh, as far as graphics go, I give it a 9. Um, it's not an exact representation of the arcade game, but I think it's as close as one could possibly get to it with the limitations of the Atari and the screen uh, orientation. It's definitely superior to any version of Pac-Man and even, uh, in my opinion, Miss Pac-Man. Uh, the fruit aren't as blocky as in the original uh, Pac-Man for the 8-bit. Uh, they look more like the arcade version. Um, because the other one was like a, a single color, uh, and it never did uh, match. Uh, well, in sorry, in, in uh, Miss Pac-Man, the fruit color were like green, 
as I mentioned before. So they didn't match fruit. They were just green. Uh, the, the, as far as the ghosts go, they don't look exactly like the arcade version. The arcade version has, uh, pupils for beautiful, I should say, uh, lovely blue pupils, uh, for the eyes in the arcade version. But they, they look the way that they're moving and that's awesome. It tells kind of, uh, tells you which way they're planning on going. I want to give the graphics a uh, 10, but I feel like there should be uh, more room to grow with this. So hopefully somebody else can make some uh, added tweaks to it to even make it uh, more like the arcade game. But anyway, uh, Sound of Music, I give it a 9. Again, this is probably because uh, it's as close to the arcade as it can be with the Pokey's limitations. Uh, but it's still very impressive. And, of course, the Pokey isn't the, uh, the sound chip in the original Pac-Man, which is a Namco WSG. Uh, and kind of a, it's, I guess it's a sampling, uh, sound chip. So it's got that, uh, advantage over it. Uh, but the sounds are, I listen to them side by side and all, and they're pretty darn close. So definitely, uh, deserve a nine. Gameplay, uh, it's, uh, fast and challenging. Uh, those are two things that I think previous versions kind of lacked. The Miss Pac-Man was in the similar the speed to, to this version, but the original Pac-Man was much, much slower, at least at the starting level. And uh, I, I looked at the document, which I think was used, or at least I'm, I'm pretty sure was used to uh, uh, define the the movements of the ghost monsters. The uh, it's called uh, Pac-Man dossier, and it's it's found on uh, Gama Sutra, and uh, it was a very complex uh, document. And um, I, I watched the ghost to see if they do the things that the document said, and I did see it quite often. So I'm pretty sure they're, they're using that. And um, as far as presentation goes, if uh, you order a cart, you get the label. Uh, but, um, you know, some homebrews out there, they do the whole nine yards. They do a package, they do documentation, you know, uh, a nice manual. So if they went that extra mile, I think it would uh, get a higher score. I'd give it a seven on that. But it's got the intro screen and the cutscenes, and they look pretty darn close to the arcade. And he's given the game away for free, so I can't complain about that. That's a perfect presentation. If people <laughs> want to pre- present more homebrews free, I, I'll, I'll take it. So out of all, I'm going to give it a 9. I think it was a, an excellent game. What about you, Bill? All right. Uh, for graphics, uh, I gave it an 8. Uh, Pac-Man's a relatively simple-looking game, um, so this isn't going to be up there with some you know, 256-color 3D game that you get on the Atari. Um, but it's an excellent rendition, rendition of the arcade game. Um, Sound of Music, I give it a nine. I love the one-up bell. I, I think I think I give it such a high score since it is so much better than Pac-Man from 1982, which I did not find at all offensive. So like the fact that it's <laughs> the fact that it's that much better is like wow, this is amazing. Um, gameplay, I give it a ten. It is it is a superb Pac-Man game. Um, presentation, I give it a ten. Uh, I love the title screen with the arcade side art. Uh, that comes up when you first boot it up, and the uh, the overall presentation of the game seems perfect. Um, overall. That's a nine. It's a must-have. Kieran, how about you? Yeah, um, I want to start by kind of first of all saying that I've always really liked Pac-Man, but I've never actually been particularly good at it. <laughs> it's one of <laughs> them games the that I do, I, I do love to play, but I've never been good at it. I've never been managed to sort of um, figure out the strategies. So, uh, yeah. But um, I, I, I thought this version was um, was really good. Um, it's not as good as I didn't think it was as good as the Atari 7800 Pac-Man collection. Um, I thought that was that was amazing. So it's it's not quite on the same level as that, but um, I think it's definitely one of the best sort of uh, 8-bit Pac-Mans out there. So I gave it um, graphics. I gave it an eight. I think they um, 
like uh, others have sort of said, they, they didn't quite get them, but um, they're, they're close enough. Sound and music. Um, I, uh, I again, um, I went with an eight. Um, I, I felt that um, they, I know, they know they've changed the sound effects over from the from the original, but I, I, I think they they weren't still quite right. They didn't. There was something about the sound effects that just didn't seem quite right. But um, still a pretty decent job. Uh, gameplay, I went for a nine. Um, I think it's amazingly playable. Um, the, the ghosts uh, definitely work better the way they've been programmed and stuff like that. Uh, presentation, nine. I, a reason I went that high, that doesn't come in a box and stuff like that. But it was that you've got all the intermissions there, lovely title screens. The way the whole game is presented um, in terms of the actual game is very, very slick indeed. And uh, so overall, I went with a nine. Um, as I said already, really, one of the best um, 8-bit Pac-Pans out there. All right, so where to buy Pac-Man Arcade? Um, so check out the thread on Atari Age, uh, where you can buy the Atari 8-bit version from Perry. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. He runs them in small batches, um, like on a kitchen table, I think, if I recall the uh, <laughs> your interview with him, David. Um, that's where the that's where the best <laughs> cooking and baking takes place. <laughs> um, Homebrew, yeah. All right, and uh, the most recent um, uh, batch ran out in July, uh, but he's already started up another pre-order. Um, the cost, uh, last I saw, was $35 US plus shipping. Or you can download a stand- standalone executable or a ROM version to flash onto an Atari Max Max Flash cartridge or, I suppose, an Ultimate card if you've got one. Um, and as we mentioned, Atari Age Store sells a 5200 version. Um, we'll have a link to that as well, and the cost for that is 30 US plus shipping. All right, so um, some other reviews you guys might be interested in listening to um, for Pac-Man-style games on your Atari-style systems. Um, Kieran did his uh, excellent arcade games video. Uh, part 2 reviews the 1982 Atari 8-bit Pac-Man. And uh, hot off the press, uh, his Atari 8-bit versus the arcade, Part 5, compares uh, 1982 Pac-Man directly to the arcade game. Um, in uh, one of the episodes of the 2600 Game by Game podcast... Ferg covers um, Atari's original Pac-Man, the one that a lot of people complain about. And hopefully someday, probably long in the future from now, he will um, cover some of the more uh, recent and more arcade-accurate homebrews like Pac-Man 4K and Pac-Man 8K. Um, also, the No Swear Gamer did a video review of the 2600 version as well. Uh, for Miss Pac-Man, um, Karen's Excellent Arcade Games Part 5 reviews uh, the Atari 8-bit uh, Miss Pac-Man game. Um, upon which this uh, arcade-accurate one of original Pac-Man is based, as mentioned. Um, the 7800 Game by Game Podcast, Episode 7, covers Miss Pac-Man, and uh, 2600 Game by Game Podcast also covers uh, Miss Pac-Man for the 2600, which is actually a very good port as well. And um, finally, the No Swear Gamer did video reviews of both the 2600 version and the 7800 versions of Miss Pac-Man, and we will have links to all of that in there. And then finally, um, we've mentioned the Pac-Man dossier a few times, and we'll have a link to the Gamma Sutra article where you can basically mind meld with how Pac-Man works. Read it. <laughs> and that's where awesome. I plagiarize, and, 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 and the source of my plagiarism. <laughs> <laughs> Repurposing. All right. So, um, so while we're at it, since uh, Pac-Man is, uh, the original Pac-Man from 1982 is a cartridge that you can get for your XEGS if you find it somewhere, um, we're going to do a real brief uh, mini-review of that. So, Michael, would you like to just do a little overview, please? 
You betcha. Well, the name is, of course, Pac-Man, and it was published by Atari in 1982. Uh, there was two models. There was the CXL4022, which was originally uh, the 82 version, and then later on in 87, they did the RX8022. Um, its uh, genre is a collectum, and the original developer was Joel Hellison. Uh, let me give you the description on the back of the box. From 1982, it's running breakneck speeds through a maze of gobbling goblins. Sorry, Goblin Goblins. You're the dot-chomping Pac-Man. Evade the goblins by sheer wit or chop an energy dot for a chance to bite back. Be sure to keep your eyes open for tasty bonus nuggets, too. Hey, Michael. Uh, yeah. You said running breakneck speed through the maze. The oh, act- I did. The actual box did not say speed. I think they forgot to put the word speed in there, but your brain stuck it in there just now. It, it, it belongs. <laughs> yeah. Running breakneck? Running... <laughs> He doesn't even have a neck. He's just a, he's just a circle. <laughs> Where's the neck to break? It's already been broken. It's gone. He broke it off. All right. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's funny. So uh, in the 1987 version, the box is slightly different. It's arcade-like fun for the Atari Pac-Man. Chase ghosts, gobble up dots, and eat scrumptious Fruit bonuses. The reason why I say scrumptious is funny because they spelled scrumptious wrong on the box. Uh, Master the Maze and 5,000 bonus points are yours. And we have some sound comparisons, which we'll uh, play back-to-back to show you the difference between the current version and uh, the, uh, the Pac-Man arcade version. Let's uh, talk about some reviews. So as far as graphics go, I give it an 8. It's not exactly the arcade, but it looks very close. And I love the ghosts. I think they're so cute. Sound and music, I give it a 7. It was close in some areas, uh, such as the eating the dots. But when the ghost runs, it sounds more like a lower version. Everything was like a little bit lower and slower uh, in the, than the typical background sounds of the uh, Pac-Man arcade or the, even the arcade version. Um, like I said, they, they just seemed about half the speed. The uh, gameplay, I give it a seven. Uh, again, everything is slower. So uh, this might be good for beginners, uh, but it's not exactly like the arcade. But the good news is you got an option to increase the level, so uh, you can then increase the difficulty, which that's that's nice. As far as presentation goes, I give it an eight. It has all the cutscenes. I think I can't get that far in the level. I'm going to have to just hope that they're all there. Uh, the back of the box description is slightly better in the 82 version than the 87 version. Uh, so, you know, presentation kind of wanes over the years. Uh, there um, there seems to be two different covers 
uh, a box cover art for the 82 version. And I remember the original one, which was a, was essentially a guy. It was, it's like a, a guy with arms and legs running through a maze. And uh, it was, that was Pac-Man. Like in a jogging, was, in a jogging getup or something, right? Like yes, sneakers. Yes. Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> so yeah, at the time I went, this is weird. This is not like, but now I look back and I go, this is much more interesting than the, the following versions, which they pretty much look like the arcade. So the other ones follow the arcade. But this one's just something I'd rather hang up on my wall. And the manual does have some nice uh, art and descriptions with a lot of images. So overall, I give it a I give it an eight. And let's go to David. Well, for graphics, I give it an eight. I think it's a nice looking game, even though the ghosts are missing their eyeballs and the screen is stretched way too horizontally. For sound and music, I I give it a seven. It's very good music and sound effects, but a tad slow as compared to the arcade or the Pac-Man arcade game versions. Uh, Gameplay, I give it an 8. It's lots of fun, good joystick control for the most part, but sometimes I swear I missed that turn I intended to make. I'm going to blame it on the controller. Presentation, I give it an 8. The manual has nice cover art. The instructions are well done. Uh, It includes survival tips and a place to rate your high scores. Box has the same cover art in the front and a screenshot in the back. So the overall, I'm going to give this game is a seven. Bill, what did you think? Yeah, um, so I, I have this one on cart and I've I've enjoyed it, but uh, it's definitely not my go-to version of Pac-Man. And if I'm ever at, like at an Atari party and somebody has that one, I'm like, oh no no, I gotta show you the better one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so <laughs> so my ratings are probably lower now than they would have been before. But uh, uh, just to kind of just run through some numbers for graphics, I gave it about a seven. Uh, sound of music seven. Um, gameplay a nine, presentation a seven. Um, I wasn't really thinking about the box or the manual. I was just thinking about the game itself. Um, and it's, it's pretty basic. Um, I, I really like that the new one has a, a cool little splash screen. So that give it, give it some extra points. And overall, uh, about a seven. How about you, Kieran? Yeah. So, um, I, I've probably revised my rating slightly over what I would have given it a little while ago because, um, Obviously now we've got Pac-Man Arcade, so I've played yeah. that and it's, um, it kind of makes you think about the old one a little bit differently. So I went with Graphics A. I do like the graphics on it. Um, again, I think the ghosts are quite cool. Um, I suppose they're not amazingly close to the, the, the arcade, but I think they look nice. I think they're good. Uh, sound and music A. I think they're, um, that they're, they're, they're decent enough for the time. Certainly a lot better than the horrific sound on the uh, the 2600 version, which was oh. really off, horrible. I hated it. Bang, 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 uh, bang, bang, bang. Yeah. yeah. Oh. You know what's funny Game about play. that? Yeah. I was going to say, every time in the 80s and 90s, whenever oh, yeah. they play video game sound, yes. they would use the Pac-Man mm. sound. I think they were trying to get their money back. <laughs> <laughs> horrible, horrible. Bok joy, Bang, bang. Gameplay, I went, I went eight. Um, it's it's really good in, in most ways, apart from um, the ghost behaviour is pretty much all the same, um, regardless of the ghost. Um, doesn't seem to be much variation there. Presentation, I, I gave it the nine um, because it has the intermissions, and I really like the box art on all the versions um, that they released. I think they they were really attractive, stood out on the shelf. Um, and especially the original version, which is amazingly interesting, as everyone's already kind of said. <laughs> so overall, I went with an eight. All right, for our next game, uh, we're going to return to the arcade with Donkey Kong. Come on, come on, come on. 
so this was published by Atari. Uh, it was licensed by Nintendo. Uh, it was originally an arcade game from 1981. It was published by Atari Inc. in 1983 and then re-released by Atari Corp. for the XE in 1988. Model number is RX8031, and this is a platformer genre. Um, the developers were Landon Dyer, who did the code and graphics, and Brad Fuller, who did the sound. Uh, both of these guys were working at Atari Inc. at the time. Um, so the description from the XEGS box... You are Mario, the fearless carpenter, and that big gorilla Donkey Kong has run off with your girlfriend. It's up to you to struggle up those ladders and balance on those beams to rescue your lady fair. She's held captive at the very top. Um, her name's Pauline, by the way. But Donkey Kong is not ready to give her up so easily. He's tossing barrels and fireballs at you at every turn. It's up to you to outmaneuver that wily ape. Good luck. Your lady awaits. Wikipedia says... The game is divided into four different single-screen stages. Each represents 25 meters of the structure Donkey Kong has climbed. It's basically a construction site. Stage 1 involves Mario scaling a construction site made of crooked girders and ladders while jumping over or hammering barrels and oil barrels tossed by Donkey Kong. Um, basically, the, the girders are crooked because Donkey Kong jumped up and down a bunch, by the way. There's a flaming oil can at the bottom left, uh, near where Mario starts, and when that uh, when a barrel lands in it, it bursts into flames and kind of becomes sentient. Uh, in the manual, they call it a Firefox. Uh, you can't jump over them because the flames are too high. Uh, climb ladders to move up the girders, and be careful not to fall down too far or you'll die. Barrels roll and bounce down girders, but also uh, randomly come down ladders, so you want to watch out for that. Jump up to grab hammers that are just kind of floating there in some parts of the screen. Once you have them, they last for a short amount of time and let you destroy barrels. You're not invincible, though, uh, so you can get hit from behind and die, or uh, you're holding the hammer up high for a split second and a barrel hits you, you're going to die. You jump the same height every time you press fire, so be careful about hitting your head on barrels on the girder above you. Get to the top to try and rescue Pauline, and Donkey Kong will whisk her away to the next stage. Stage 2 involves climbing a five-story structure of conveyor belts, each of which transports cement pans, uh, also called sand piles, and uh, sometimes this whole level is called the Pie Factory, and you guys uh, might also want to listen to the Pie Factory podcast, by the way, um, and avoiding uh, fireballs. Uh, jump over the cement pans or uh, bust them with a hammer. They're basically like the barrels of this level. The third stage involves the player riding elevators while avoiding bouncing springs. Again, be careful about falling too far, even onto an elevator platform. Um, at the top, you can position yourself under the highest point of a um, spring's arc to avoid being hit. So that's a, a little hint there. Um, similar elevators can be found in um, the original Super Mario Brothers on the NES. The final stage involves Mario re removing eight rivets, uh, which support Donkey Kong. Removing the final rivet causes basically the whole building to collapse and Donkey Kong to fall and the hero to be reunited with Pauline. So the four stages uh, combine to form a level. In the first level, you, pay, you play stages one and four. In the second, you play stages one, two, and four. And in the third uh, level, you play all four stages. Um, Pauline's lost items are uh, sprinkled around each stage and can be collected for points. Um, a parasol... Uh, it looks more like an umbrella to me. I think it's got, like, the hook handle. Um, a hat, 
a purse or bag or to me it always looked kind of like a tank um <laughs> and, <laughs> and a cake um Ending the stage quickly gives you a higher bonus. Uh, there's a bonus timer that counts down 100 points at a time. Uh, if it reaches d- zero, you die. That's a nice little arbitrary thing there to uh, keep the quarters pumping, I guess. Yeah. Um, more fun facts. As you might have, as you might have guessed, Donkey Kong was created by uh, Shigeru Miyamoto, um, who we talked about in our Mario Brothers review on episode two. Mario was originally named Jumpman, and uh, while he's a carpenter in this game. He and his brother Luigi are plumbers in later titles, including Mario Brothers and, of course, Super Mario Brothers and so on. Although Luigi's also a Ghostbuster sometimes as well. Um, I noticed that um, uh, Super Mario Brothers came out the same year that this this game came out, 83. And so I wonder when which one came out first and if they knew that he was a, they were uh, a plumber at the time the game came out or they just pretty much said, well, he's a carpenter now and let's just go forward. Uh, you mean uh, uh, original Mario Brothers, you mean? Yeah. You're right. Sorry, my mm-hmm. brain screwed up. You're right. Mario Brothers, and in, in that he's a he's a plumber. So, yeah. but they both came out the same year. So, you know, it was Sorry. it was just a bad uh, a bad financial time for construction. So he yeah. went to plumbing. Yeah. Um, well, he destroyed a, a complete building. So I guess they he had to find another <laughs> job. <laughs> All right. Um. So Nintendo made Donkey Kong uh, when they failed to get a license to the Popeye character. Um. Although they eventually did, and we may actually eventually um, do a mini review of the eight bit port of that game. Um, his name is Donkey Kong, uh, is in a stupid or stubborn ape, Kong being the nickname for ape. And there was a whole King Kong thing um, <laughs> in the uh, courts, which you can read about as well. Um, obviously, the character, Donkey Kong, kidnapping this uh, woman is, is influenced by both King Kong and Beauty and the Beast. Um, if you check the Wikipedia articles on the Donkey Kong arcade game and the character, uh, you can learn a lot more about the back, backstory and on the development of the character. This version contains an Easter egg, which was found a whopping 25 years after the fact. Uh, if you get a high score between 33,000 and 33,900, um, kill your remaining lives with the last one being falling from a high distance, i.e. jumping off a, a girder. Set the difficulty to four, uh, which is the, the Firefox. Wait a few minutes, and the initials of one of the authors will appear. Um, in 2007, the documentary film The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters, was produced, and it follows the competitive video game champions Steve Wiebe, I don't know if I'm saying that right, and Billy... Nope, you have your center right. Oh, great. Yep. And, uh, and Billy Mitchell, as they compete for the top score in the game. Uh, so about the developers of the 8-bit version. Um, today, Landon Dyer is a software engineer at Valve uh, up in Seattle, up, up by you, Michael. Atari worked on Donkey Kong and the unreleased Super Pac-Man port. Uh, Later, he worked on the Atari ST operating system. So if you're listening to uh, Wade of Inverse Itasky, ding, um, and his new uh, uh, 1632 podcast, uh, you might learn something about him as well someday. Um, He also worked on the Newton at Apple. You guys remember the Newton? Oh, yeah. It was that giant tablet thing. Um, (laughs) Was the first? Wasn't it the first tablet? Eat up, Martha. Damn it. Um, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> oh, <laughs> and he helped design and ship the Kinect uh, uh, wow. at Microsoft. Yeah, um, he got his, his job at Atari after writing Myriapede, um, which ended up a very popular public domain clone of Centipede. He tried submitting it to Atari Program Exchange, and they declined to sell it because it was, you know, a ripoff of their own game. Um, <laughs> but then a few le- weeks later, they called him uh, about a job interview. Um, nice. He's got a blog over at dadhacker.com. Um, he's actually got a blog post uh, entitled Donkey Kong and Me, where he talks about working on this game. 
Uh, the source code of this game was dug up off an old Atari backup tape by Kurt Vendel, um, who people probably know from the uh, Atari Museum and as being uh, the co-author of Atari Inc. Business and Business It's Fun. And uh, uh, Landon has an article about that on his blog. And Landon was also interviewed by the Antic Podcast earlier this year. So go check that out. We'll have lots of links in the show notes. Brad Fuller uh, sadly passed away at the beginning of this year. Um, he was a composer at Atari and worked on a few uh, 8-bit and 5200 titles, including Millipede and a ton of arcade games at Atari games, like Marble Madness, Clax, Tetris, and a ton more. Um, and he also worked on ten, uh, sound and music for Tengen ports of Atari games, arcade games, on the NES and Genesis. Uh, there's a video game music preservation foundation wiki entry on him. Um, his old website is still up, uh, at the time at bradfuller.com. And he was actually interviewed by Antic, uh, as well last September. So go listen to that. Right. So what's the legacy of this Donkey Kong fellow? Um, well, obviously Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers, the entire Nintendo dynasty. But, you know, back then there was also Donkey Kong Jr. And in that one, actually, Mario was the villain and Jr. was your playable character, the protagonist, trying to rescue poor old Donkey Kong. Uh, there was also Donkey Kong 3. Um, I forget the name of the character in that, but it wasn't Mario. And that's a completely different other kind of game uh, than, than uh, Donkey Kong or Donkey Kong Jr. Then there was Donkey Kong Country, which is kind of a return of Donkey Kong back in 19, uh, 1996 for the Super Nintendo. And Donkey Kong uh, Country Returns for the Wii in 2010. And Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze for the Wii U in 2014. And in these ones, again, Donkey Kong is the protagonist. And those are kind of a platformer game a la Super Mario Brothers, um, but with their own you know, special moves. And, of course, there are ports to other platforms of the original Donkey Kong, including, back then, ColecoVision and Television, Commodore 64, Apple II, NES, etc. Oh, my goodness. Except the Atari 8-bit version is the superior version. Oh, yeah, we will get to that, won't we? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, where to buy this game? Uh, Best Electronics has a $13 card only, uh, or 18 for um, the original uh, in a box, and uh, 30 or 45 in a box for the XE re-release. Uh, BNC Computer Visions has a $20 cart only. Uh, I'm guessing that was the original, but I don't know. It might have been a re-release. Um, and eBay, I've seen it from around $12 to $15, as well as up to $85. So some versions of this seem to be expensive for I don't know what reason. So other ports and their reviews. Uh, episode 10 of the 2600 Game by Game podcast covers the 2600 version. Episode 19 of the 7800 Game by Game podcast covers the 7800 version. Uh, Kieran's Excellent Arcade Games Part 5, as well as Atari 8-Bit vs. Arcade Part 5, uh, both cover this game. And just to mention it, the ColecoVisions podcast Episode 1 reviews the game, and it's worth noting because Donkey Kong was basically the ColecoVisions killer app. It was their, their pack-in game. So moving on to reviews, David, what did you think of this game? Okay, so for graphics, I give it an 8. There is some flicker, but the characters look great. Although the fire is an interesting combination of blue and red, while the arcade is actually just uh, the color red. Sound and music, I give it an 8. It replicates most of the sound from the arcade. Just the sounds don't have as much bass as the arcade counterparts do, but way better than the 7800 version, that's for sure. Gameplay, I give it an 8. Great gameplay, does a good job of replicating the arcade game, has all four stages, unlike every other DK version out there during the same Yay! time period. <laughs> Go Atari! That's right. That's right. And you got the four levels on the Atari 8-bit only. Okay. 
presentation. It has the intro and between level sequences of the arcade game. It's got the splash screen and the splash screen changes colors between the Donkey Kong intro. Overall, eight. It's Donkey Kong in your home. You can't beat that plus you've got the four levels. Take that, ColecoVision. Boo. Now you're playing with power. Michael, now that I've alienated seventy-five <laughs> percent of my audience, how about you? What do you've got well, to funny, say about this? It's I'm, I haven't mentioned ColecoVision yet, but I do remember it being the killer app. A friend of mine had uh, ColecoVision and had Donkey Kong, and I was blown away by it. I went back and actually looked at it uh, as a comparison because my memories were so fond. And uh, you know what's funny is that uh, although it's different and it does in some ways uh, look more closer to the arcade. There are a lot of things about the Atari version that are uh, pretty darn close. They they got pretty close. It wasn't so far off. I think I was just you know at the time it, it was a new shiny uh, thing and I was uh, enamored by it. But anyway, uh, let's get on to the review. The graphics. Yeah, but hold on a second a, before you go yeah. any further. Don't forget it only has three levels. That's yes, exactly. And I remember that uh, being the case. I did take that away from it when I was. I told my friend. Uh, your your console sucks because it has all four levels. No, <laughs> I don't remember what I said to him. I probably just said, "Hey, that looks more like the arcade." But uh, graphics, I gave it an eight. I say, you know, it looks like the uh, uh, looks like the arcade, but there's several things that are uh, just don't quite look the same. Mario doesn't exactly look the same as he does in the arcade version, um, and uh, colors are similar, but not. The one thing I think I have the issue with is the um, you know when you have the level where it goes do 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 and it, the the gorillas kind of look don't look exactly original like they do in the arcade version. I don't know in the arcade version it looks a little bit like he's been drinking a little bit, which I think is <laughs> slightly more interesting. I think he's like the Simpsons version of himself on that screen. Maybe. Yeah, yeah there exactly. You go. Like what what happened? They wake him up in the middle of the night and take his picture. And the other ones it just looks like they just said, oh, we'll just take this image of uh, Donkey Kong and put him here. It's not a big deal, but uh, it does look a little bit different. Some of the things are, are changed a little bit. So um, uh, I say Sound of Music, I give it an 8. Uh, the Sound of Music is pretty much like the arcade, just not as full. Uh, the sound, uh, it seems like all the sounds are represented. And I'd say uh, most of the music is there. So it's uh, definitely good. Um, gameplay, I give it an 8. Gameplay is fast and challenging, very important for a, a port. And on the first screen, uh, it's missing one ho- horizontal uh, girder platform. But that's probably due to the limitations of the screen orientation. It's a uh, landscape instead of, you know, what is it? What's the other one called? Portrait. Portrait. Thank you. So we need we need a Donkey Kong hack for the Atari where, again, you have to turn your TV set sideways. (laughs) (laughs) Or we just have somebody who makes it a little bit smaller, maybe. I don't know. Uh, Presentation, I give a seven. Um, The um, on the first screen, uh, Donkey Kong is on the right instead of the left, like in the arcade version. I I guess they switched it around maybe because it just looked better or maybe because the something in the Atari. I don't know why. Um, And it's uh, I noticed Donkey Kong doesn't carry uh, Pauline away in the first screen like he does in the arcade. Um, A minor nitpick. Uh, screens uh, aren't in the same order in the arcade uh, as they are in in the uh, in the home version, and I kind of prefer this because I always thought it was weird in the arcade version. You jump screens; it would be like I think you go like uh, the first screen, then the then the then the where the the, the what do you call the rivet screen, and then I think it jumps back to the first screen, and I think these all go in order. So I kind of actually prefer that a little bit better. Uh, the box cover is okay. I noticed I was looking on Atari uh, uh, Mania, and the cover art is just 
Mario's head is all weird, and and Paulina, she kind of looks like a mannequin. I don't uh, don't know what they were, who was drawing that, but it just didn't look that interesting. Uh, but the manual is informative. Uh, it's just not that attractive, not very colorful. So in the end, I'll give it, I'll give it an eight. Okay, how about you, Bill? I was gonna say he um if if I'm looking at the same one you are, he looks a little bit more like uh, Wario, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks like he, you know maybe a girder did fall on his head a few times. I, I, I was um I was uh, at California Extreme one time and I was taking pictures of every single different variation of Mario that I saw on all the different games they had there because basically oh. they, nobody could draw him the same way twice. It seemed like back yeah. in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was he was jumping at the time, so yeah. you know he hadn't been, become a star yet. <laughs> yeah. Also, also um, I was I was looking for the the different version of of Donkey Kong that appears in that intro, like the How Hey Can You Get Screen, um. Be careful Googling for the phrase, how high can you get Donkey Kong? <laughs> oh. <laughs> so um, I had a less than legitimate copy of this uh, back in the late 80s, and it was probably one of the first bits of, uh, let's say, copied software that I got. Um, once I finally met another kid who actually owned an Atari, like, I mean, it was hard enough finding kids that owned computers, let alone the same kind of computer back then. Um wow. So I played the arcade version some at my local arcade and was pretty terrible at both versions, basically. Um, <laughs> so while I, this one's not stellar, uh, I find it to be a suitable facsimile. And uh, these days I have a real legitimate cart version, in case anybody wonders. Um, so uh, graphics are a little bit flickery. Um, there's some notable artifacting uh, when it does it does kind of a, an XOR math effect. Um if if anybody ever played with really old paint programs like on the Atari or Commodore and you'd use the line drawing tool, it would do this. They call it like a rubber band effect. That's basically they're doing a little bit of math to make it really easy to erase and redraw stuff. So when two things combine, so two barrels rolling next to each other or a, a, a barrel rolling in front of a, a ladder, they kind of like cancel each other out or cause weird colors. So, um, you know, obviously, if if they'd done it better, the game might not have been as fast or as good. Um, but just graphically, it, it always kind of bugged me, even back then. Sound of Music, I give it a 7. The, the arcade game didn't really offer a ton of sound in, anyway, so it's not like this is something to write home about. It's it's just a port. Um, gameplay, I give it an 8. Uh, no complaints about the playability or responsiveness. I just find Donkey Kong to be a really difficult game. Um, I don't know how many times I hit my head on a barrel above me because I was trying to jump over some barrel below me, and it's like, this is unfair. Uh, presentation, uh, I give it a six. Uh, it's a suitable rendition of the arcade. It always looked a little bit blocky to me for some reason. Uh, maybe if it just added a little bit more color somehow, I'm not sure. So overall, I gave it a seven. How about you, Kieran? Yeah, um, I will start by saying, um, I'm again, I'm like some people have said, I'm not very good at Donkey Kong, but uh, I generally suck at platform games um, oh. completely. I'm, I'm not. Some of the one-screen platform games, I'm. Uh, generally uh quite good at um but donkey kong isn't one of them um i've never massively liked the game i have to say and i've never been very good at it but that said i've tried to be objective and review it as uh as a game and not to try to bring my own personal bias into it um the being the professional that i am so i have um given it a nine for graphics i think it does apart from it being back to front um with donkey kong being on the wrong side of the screen I think they did a really good job of um, replicating the graphics. It's nicely animated. They chose the colours well. Um, I think everything about it, it looks, it does look the part, really. Uh, sound, again, they got all the um, sound effects uh, spot on, I think. I think they did a really 
um good job in that area it certainly sounds like the arcade game um gameplay though i suck at it um it does play well the controls seem to be pretty tight um i don't think there's any complaints there uh presentation again i went nine because they nailed um all the intros and all of that kind of thing and i think the box are although it's a bit strange it's very much of its time i think a lot of those early japanese games had really weird artwork so uh, i think it's kind of yeah of its time i think is the way to describe it the, the best and uh, yeah so i went for a, a nine overall as as much as i don't like it it is a good game and it is the best 8-bit version of donkey kong out there um from the original versions so yeah Wow, and I love Donkey Kong, and I gave it a worse score than you did, so. <laughs> <laughs> There's no accounting for math. Um. <laughs> uh, I try to, to be objective, and I try to review a game as if um, it's uh, as a game and not bring my own personal bias into it. It's the professional reviewer in me. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I like that. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> this game's hard. Um, <laughs> well, that's why. Well, well, that's why we have four hosts. I guess. Yeah, I thought it was just to make this take forever. <laughs> <laughs> that too. <laughs> All right. External reviews. I got a few links in here. We'll have in the show notes. At Atari Mania, people gave it high marks. Despite Donkey Kong being on the right side of the screen, it's touted for having all four screens of the arcade game. Uh, Video Game Critic gave it an A for all the same reasons. And at Atari HQ, uh, it averaged 8.5 out of 10. And they noted it laughs in the face of the popular ColecoVision version. So, oh. so Boy, this is a real downer for ColecoVision. <laughs> on this, on th- this episode is really anti-ColecoVision. I just wanna, let me just preface this to all my ColecoVision fans <laughs> out there. We love the ColecoVision. I have an addiction problem. I'm not going to touch the ColecoVision. But the ColecoVision is a great console, but we're Atari first and foremost here, so Atari first, and that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> all right. Budget games. Such a deal. Yeah, so the first game we are going to uh, cover today in a um, look at uh, budget games is uh, Warhawk. And uh, for those who don't know, Warhawk was published by Firebird in 1986. And an interesting fact about Firebird were they were one of three labels that were owned by British Telecom. And the uh, funny thing was about that at this point is that um, at that point, our phone industry in the UK was um, still owned by the government. And uh, so British Telecom were, were technically like a... Uh, you know, all, all, uh, a part of the um, the government, really, in a way, um, they decided to diversify into software, game software, and they set up Firebird and later on two other labels, Silverbird and Rainbird. And Firebird was their kind of arcade games label. Um, later on, BT did become independent company, etc., etc. But uh, that's how that's how they're, um, they they started up, and uh, it was released. Um, Firebird tended to release their games first, so they, they weren't quite budget and they weren't quite full price. They were kind of halfway house, but um, late and then later on they did um, very much specialise in, in, in budget games. Um, and Warhawk, uh, it was it's a, the description. Um, this was taken from Moby Games. It's a vertically scrolling shoot 'em up set in space, 
Um, the authors were inspired by the coin-up arcade game Star Force. The player pilots a laser-armed starfighter flying into an asteroid belt, fighting against enemy star bases, waves of fighters, avoiding mines and meteor showers that deplete the ship's shields while hunting for precious power-ups. And the uh, the game was came out in quite a few different formats. It came out for um, the uh, ZX Spectrum, Commodore 64, Amstrad CPC, Atari ST, and uh, more recently, um, a group of guys did a homebrew version for the Nintendo DS. And actually, some of the people who did the Nintendo DS port were some of the people who worked on the original versions of the game, which you don't often see. Um, it's a, a kind of semi-official version in many ways. Um, but it's worth looking up because they, they made some nice improvements and stuff to the game. So it was the Atari version was coded by Andrew Betts with music by Rob Hubbard. And I think that's where the special bit comes in, because Warhawk, to most people, when you mention it um, for Atari fans, they immediately think of the music. without doubt um possibly the best piece of music on the atari uh, bit i i heard this music in the demo scene era of the early 90s mm. and i only just played the game like this week <laughs> yeah it's it, it was the the music was very good on all formats in fact i recommend um if you go onto my youtube channel i did do a chiptune challenge on uh, warhawk um, which we could stick in the show notes actually um, so you can compare all the different versions um, of the music from every version, and you'll find that the the pokey version of the music is is definitely the best. I was going to say, who won? Um, if you, <laughs> yeah, if you want to hear, um, you know, when you hear the the, the Commodore fanboys gone about the Sid ship, show them Warhawk because it's the uh, the pokey version is much beefier than the Sid version, and sounds a lot better. In, in, in certainly, in my opinion, I think in most people's opinions as well. So the, yeah, it's 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 a shame the music doesn't play throughout the game. It is only on the title screen, but it's um you can literally just sit there and listen to the music for ages. It is that that good, um really amazing piece of music on the game. So I um originally played this game on the um on the Spectrum. Um it was only later on that I discovered the the Atari 8-bit port. Um and it's 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 quite a bit better in my opinion. Um I, I think we sort of said about Atari shooting ups earlier. Um it's not an area where I, th I think I think the Atari a bit excels that well in um, kind of arcade later style arcade scrolling shoot 'em ups. It's got a lot of the good single screen variety, but out of the, the the scrolling ones that are out there, I think one of the best vertically scrolling shoot 'em ups even probably is Warhawk. It is one of the, the games that people bring up a lot. Um, 
and in terms of ratings, I mean, I went with um, graphics. I gave it an eight. Uh, I think they're nice and colourful. Um, they are a bit blocky, but I think they work quite well. Um, lots of colour being used. They, they move around pretty fast. Lots of sprites on screen, which I think is one of the most impressive things about it. I've already mentioned the the sound, the you know, in the music department being incredibly good. The sound effects in game are very good as well. give it a nine gameplay eight um it's just i think the only thing that holds it back a little bit is um the enemy very there isn't much variation in the enemies um but i do like the way you can uh destroy the uh backgrounds and ground objects and and, and that style of thing and it does um it is pretty frantic um so it does keep you um keep you going i think for quite a while and it's going to be a while before we probably finish it um, Presentation-wise, um, really nice title screen. Um, I think the box art is really nice as well. Um, so I went with an 8 on that. And uh, overall, I give the game an 8. I think it with a bit more enemy variation, I think it, it could have probably been considered a, a bit of a classic. So uh, what did you think, Michael? Well, I, I gave it a 7 for graphics. I, I thought it was very colorful, um, but some of the the ships kind of remind me of something like a 2600 game. I, I don't know if it's because the, the everything was so large. And when uh, the ground targets didn't really pop, they didn't. I mean, I was shooting a lot of things and I was destroying them, but I didn't always realize that was the thing I needed to shoot. I just shot, you know. So I pretty much just it was it was just the effect of killing the things was just because all my fire was just going down the screen. I think this game really, really shines in the sound of music. I mean, that intro song, that thing. If correct me if I'm wrong, that thing was like three minutes long. It was a full. I mean, it, the, it was it was a demo with a game around it in some ways. <laughs> um, the shot sounds uh, were top-notch. In fact, like I said, uh, the sound effects and are interesting, and they're not just this pow-pow. They had character to them, so I thought that yeah. I gave it a nine. Gameplay, I'd say a six. I, um, I liked the enemy homing shots. It made for uh, it very challenging. And it was fun, but it was repetitious. So you pretty much go down the level, you shoot the things, and you end the boss level with everything, just basically the strategies don't get hit. And then you know, rinse and repeat. I, I would have liked to see um, a little more uh, um, you know, mix of, say, power-ups yeah. and you know, uh, sh- you know, my shields. If I was at the end and my shields were dead, I was dead. Because it, it's really hard to actually uh, evade those guys. I mean, they're just right on top of you. And I think that was because of the fact that mm. the, the screen was, it seemed zoomed in. Like, if they just zoomed out just a little bit more, I would have felt that it would be easier to play. You know, maybe, uh, you know, make those sprites uh, half the size. All the sprites half the size have been great. But, I mean, I like the fact that there was, uh, that you went from enemies attacking to meteor showers. So there was a mix-up of that. A presentation, I give an 8. I mean, again, the, um, with the sound, you have a great interest screen. It's, it's beautiful. Fonts are awesome, not boring at all. Um, and the box art is, um, is is good. It's not great in my opinion. It, it's sort of typical of that time frame. Uh, it's it's not. I always use like the Atari twenty six hundred covers as some guy sat down and he, um, you know, he he painted a portrait of something that was in his mind. Some of these things just seem like uh, give me a spaceship and uh, he's flying through space and then draw it and you were done. 
And so uh, maybe this one didn't have as much care, but it was still – it wasn't sloppy. It just wasn't my, my favorite. Um, so I give it – let's say I give it a seven uh, overall. And it, there's a game called Dreadnought. This reminded me when I was going down you know, playing it uh, for the – I think it was Activision made Dreadnought. And that was a very similar game, but I just felt that game was better. So uh, pick that one up if you, um, if you haven't played it yet. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Bill? All right, um, so graphics, I gave it a five. Uh, like you, Michael, I thought the, uh, the enemy sprites were a bit basic looking. Like, there were no, they were just a single color. Um, yeah. And I know the Atari can do more. At the very least, they can use some display list interrupts or something to make more colors within that single color sprite. Um, and the destroyed ground targets just kind of turned into little circle shapes. So I didn't quite understand what was going on there. I'm, I'm used to, <laughs> I'm used to a game like, uh, Xevious where you, you bomb something on yeah. the, you bomb something on the ground and it's like this flaming wreckage. But otherwise, you know, it was okay. It's, it scrolled really fast. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. It didn't scroll really fast. Uh, uh, the, the bad guys moved really fast, which was pretty impressive. Sound of music, excellent music. But the, the, to me, the, the game sound effects are passable, and, and I missed there being some in-game music or, or between-level music or something. So I give that a six. Ooh. <laughs> Gameplay, <laughs> I found it a bit too fast-paced um, for me. I'm, I guess I'm used to... Something like Life Force, where you just kind of scroll around the screen, you go up there, you shoot some guys, you go down there, you shoot some guys. <laughs> this one's like, oh my god, it's they're all coming at me. Um, an and then and then once they get behind me, it's impossible to 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 get them in front of you again without getting your shields beat up. Um, so I found that very frustrating. Presentation, I gave it a six. I really like the the title screen. Um, I, like you said, Michael, looks look kind of like a demo. Remind me of lots of flashing colors and stuff. Um, Overall, I gave it a five. Now, um, just briefly, back to the music. There, there, I watched uh, Bedrooms of Billions, um, and there was a, a little story from Rob Hubbard about how he did the music for Commando, and I kind of wonder like how, how often stories like this happened, where basically they said, we need some music for a game. He showed up in the evening. He worked all night while everyone was gone, made some music. Everyone came back in the morning, and they said, yeah, that's great, and then he like took a train home for four hours or whatever. And I, <laughs> it just... <laughs> So I wonder, you know, like I wonder how much involvement he actually had in the whole product, or if it was just like that's amazingly common. <laughs> Come make some music, wow. All right, but ding. yeah, that's great, awesome. It, it literally, <laughs> a lot of the time, games were shipped without music because they couldn't get someone quick enough to do the music. And a lot of games literally only got music because someone went, yeah, I can do that. And they said, come along. And they did it in a day and left. Yeah. <laughs> that is really, really, really common uh, in, the, in the scene over here with computer games anyway. That's pretty cool. Very, very common. Right. Sometimes they didn't even see the game. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Sounds right. like the people doing the, uh, the art. The movie. Oh. The, no, the, 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 previews of movies is like did you actually see the movie before you did the preview because it doesn't <laughs> represent it at all <laughs> all right so david how about you okay so for the graphics i'm going to give it a seven the, the sprites are nice looking although blocky and chunky and unicolor uh there's good details in the background the stars and the ship uh, that you're actually flying over, if that is a ship. I will say at one time, I thought I was being attacked by Pac-Man because uh, one of the enemy ships, what they'll happen is when they're flying a certain direction, it actually looks like Pac-Man with his mouth open. Oh. So, how appropriate. Well, whatever. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, sound and music, I give it an eight. It's a great theme music, good explosion sound effects, but... 
your ship's blaster sounds too much like static on a radio. I kept wanting to change the station. <laughs> I would have preferred. I would have preferred uh, a different, maybe a laser sort of sound. Um, gameplay, I give it a seven. It reminds me of Iridium on the Commodore 64, oh, just yeah. vertical yeah. Have, versus horizontal. Have, have you seen Mirax Force on the Atari 8-bit? Because that one is very much mm. a, a, a Iridium. Yeah. And Uridium? A Uridium ripoff, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, The sprites were a tad too big, making it feel a bit claustrophobic and harder to maneuver around obstacles. Uh, Very frantic gameplay, resulting in many sore thumbs. Uh, Presentation, I give it an 8. It's got an awesome start screen. The music gets your blood pumping. And I think the cover art on the cassette case was nice. So overall, I'm rating this an 8. Excellent. I think... um Again, I kind of say this every time we, we look at the budget games, but what you've got to kind of remember is that you know this game only cost a few pounds, and when you're um, you know that that's that's nothing really. You know, uh, you kind of mentioned Dreadnought earlier. That would have probably been a full price game. At kind of over here, that probably would have been like about ten pounds. So when you're only playing paying a, a couple of quid for oh, a game, definitely. and then you get and then you get introduced with um, music like that you're like wow that's already two pound well spent you know just to get the music yeah <laughs> and, uh, yeah it was those budget games you know i agree i mean you're yeah you're right i mean we don't take price into account i mean if we, i guess it was back in the day we were we we're doing these yeah. ago. Well, now i put two, two together do you want to pay forty dollars or do you want to pay you know <laughs> three bucks it's like yeah. well three bucks this is a pretty good game of course nowadays mm-hmm. we get them all for free so they can be judged on their merits alone <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> In terms of um, reviews, uh, I couldn't. Uh, I, only, I, I did actually find one review um, for the Atari 8-bit version, so I mentioned that first, and uh, that was Computer and Video Games, um, better known as CMVG, which was for many, 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 many years. It was the best-selling multi-format uh, magazine in the UK, a very famous magazine, and they reviewed the Atari 8-bit version um, and gave it an 8 out of 10. And that's quite cool because they didn't often review Atari a bit of stuff, so that was quite cool to find. Uh, they liked it a lot. Um, other reviews from other formats, um, Zap64, the Commodore 64 magazine, gave it 80%. Commodore User gave it 8 out of 10, again on the C64. And another C64 review, Computer Gamer, gave it 75%. And last of all, ST Action reviewed the ST version and gave it 46%. And I have what to happened? say, I've played the st version i do have it on disc somewhere and it's 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 slightly different to the um the 8-bit versions and um i think it's it's pretty weak on the the 16 bits so i don't think uh they made enough improvements to the game you know um to make it a 16-bit game so i don't, just don't think it works as well on the st funnily enough there was never an amiga version hmm. so it was only on the st and not the amiga yeah. So hey, hey, Karen, I got a question for you. Uh, going back, you mentioned uh, Rainbird. Now I remember Rainbird and Firebird. Well, Firebird, uh, you mentioned Firebird for this, and then Rainbird later on uh, for the ST. You know, like Pawn was one of the first games to come out for the ST, and it was made mm. by of uh, uh, Rainbird. And I found it fascinating. This was your telecom company that decided to go into software. But where does yeah. Rainbird come in? I mean, why is there Firebird and Rainbird? Can you talk quickly about that? Um, Firebird you know? was the original name, and so originally um, they actually wanted to call the company Firefly Software, but they couldn't. Oh. They couldn't copyright that name. Um, hmm. They were told they couldn't have it, so they changed it to Firebird, 
and originally um i said about um firebird you know i said about how they released games that on kind of they weren't quite budget and they weren't quite full price they had these different price points mm-hmm. so they originally the firebird stuff was 5.95 the games that they released they were a little bit cheaper than most people's full price stuff but at that time when they first came in were like about 7.95 8.95 around that right. that kind of price range so they were releasing at 5.95 so undercutting everyone else but then they decided they were one of the pioneers really actually of releasing budget games first of all at £2.50 which is a, a strange price um, <laughs> but they called that Firebird Silver oh but then what they decided to do was Firebird Silver became Silverbird because it made more sense to call it that so their budget label actually became Silverbird and then um, they introduced Rainbird as the kind of serious label oh. um, it was it was all, everything released on Silverbird was either a text adventure. All the early stuff on on Rainbird was uh, text adventures, like the porn and mm-hmm. stuff like that. He said, um, but they also did quite a few simulation games, like 3D stuff, like uh, Carrier Command stuff like yeah. that. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, it was on. Yeah, it was on Rainbird, and I seem to remember that actually, funny enough, Rainbird. There was actually a guy who worked for the company who was called Tony Rainbird. <laughs> And I think he was one of the guys involved. Yeah, there we go. I've just read that actually on the. It's there on Wikipedia. It was set up by Tony Raybird, who actually came in. He didn't originally work for them, and he came in to um, help them um, with the Firebird label. And uh, he, uh, yeah, and it actually says here originally they were going to call that label Bluebird, but they couldn't have that. They weren't allowed to have that again, so they didn't do very well with their names, and so they decided to, which is why all the Rainbow games had that blue packaging, so they kept that the same. Yeah. But they decided to change it to Rainbird because they could have that name, and so it's quite funny that there was actually a guy called Tony Rainbird. I remembered that part, but yeah, I mean, Star Glider was another famous Rainbird game. Oh, yeah, that's right. Defense. Yeah. That yeah. was awesome, too. I remember Star Glider. Oh, my gosh, that's, yeah. And yeah, I, I, they well, published all the level nine adventures and stuff like that one Rainbird as well. Yeah. I, I think if you were to ask me to name one Firebird game, I, I remember my brother having an honest Commodore. Chimera! Yeah, yeah, that's on the that's on the Atari as well. Yeah, yeah, there was a remake recently. Oh, we're getting we're getting yeah, there yeah. was there was yeah distracted. Um, but they yeah, were later sorry. they were later taken over by uh, Microprose, bought them out, oh. mm. and then Microprose got consumed, and then they got. You know, <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. So well, technically speaking, um, if you actually trace their timeline through, they're actually the label is actually now owned by Atari. Oh, you're <laughs> kidding! Wow. And we come full circle. <laughs> yeah, because Firebird, well, Telecom Soft were taken over by Microprose. Microprose were taken over by Infogrames, and Infogrames became Atari. So how come they haven't re-released the uh, games uh, on some, you know? phone or made toilet to honest, paper or I think a shirt because I, I think it's because actually atari and actually i've had this confirmed by somebody um is that atari the modern atari pretty much don't even know what they own they oh, own okay. some absolutely massive labels yeah i mean they own they own again if you go back on legacy and come things that they own they own um gremlin graphics they own ocean software they own some of the oh. biggest companies Companies they all Gremlin? The wow. They, yeah. Gremlin were taken over um, by... Uh, I thought that was Activision. Infogrames. Or was it really? No, Infogrames, okay. yeah. Well, they're too, wow. busy, they're too yeah. busy having a rapper like redo music with all their sound effects yeah. from Asteroids or something. So, If if they actually 
got their head out of their ass and stopped looking at the 2600 games and actually realized yeah. all the other stuff they've got in their back catalog they've got some incredible stuff there yeah well if you tell them that they own these things they'll just end up suing you for some reason so <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway i hate to distract i just thought that was yeah, fascinating yeah. what you said about the the telecom and just like what <laughs> it's a pretty crazy story <laughs> it's like ma bell making you know nintendo games like yeah no <laughs> everybody uh, anyway. everybody was doing it back then they did. That's. I think that's what I found was most interesting yeah. is that everybody wanted to get in this new computer thing. You know, video games, I mean, computers. Coleco is like a leather company, right? <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. All right. Let's let's move on to 180. I have to yell it because it has yeah. an exclamation point. Indeed. So 180 um, was by the the kings of budget games, Mastertronic. Um, they we've already brought them up before in. Um, previous episode and i'm sure we'll be talking about master tronic many many times on these episodes because they released um not just a lot of budget games but they um supported the atari 8-bit um a great deal they were one of the most prolific uh, budget game publishers probably actually probably were the most prolific so 180 was released in 1986 it was developed by a company called binary design that are um quite well known over here because they were set up by two guys called the pickford brothers um that went on to some pretty big things in the industry um probably a game that a lot of people know them for is um plock on the snes um, which is quite a well-known sort of funky platform game but um they were they were kind of um pioneers in the industry and uh they developed it for mastertronic and the music was done by uh jazz seabrook or jason seabrook um, quite often shortened. And uh, it's a game about darts or in particular, pub darts is probably the best way to um, to describe it. So it follows the traditional darts rules. Um, we compete against an opponent to see who can score 501 po- points first. And the best out of three. So... You basically have to hit the, the, the darts around the board to try and hit 501 so you play against the computer in a championship knockout competition the computer will randomly select players out of eight different opponents each player has his own characteristics and style of play as their favorite doubles they like to throw regardless of whom you play they will become better as you progress towards the final Uh, practice mode helps you become familiar with more skillful and more skillful at throwing the darts and the game you can actually play against a, another human if you wish which is obviously a great deal more fun now the funny thing about this game is how they simulated the darts is um and this part always makes me laugh is that you see the hand on the screen um just a, a floating hand to uh, to throw the darts but it constantly moves around and shakes 
you've got to try and get it still to be able to throw the dart. Now, they obviously added that kind of feature into, um, so it wouldn't be so easy to add a bit more skill to it. But the part that makes me laugh, and you do see it featured in the game, is that at the time when this game was made, obviously darts was very much a pub game. But you also used to see darts on TV a lot in the UK. It was it was always on TV. It was quite a big sport. But even the professional darts players, you would see them literally downing pints of beer between every single <laughs> time they went up to the hockey. How high and can you get? Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> some of the darts players would get absolutely trashed on yeah. on TV. You'd watch them getting trashed. Nice. As they as they, as they play darts, but obviously this later on became frowned upon, and and that was actually one of the main reasons why darts actually went off TV in the UK for many many years. It kind of got forgotten about until it made a big comeback in in, in more recent times. But um, and it makes me laugh because obviously it's almost like with the hand moving around that you are drunk um, <laughs> when you're playing, and it kind of makes the game make a bit more sense. And when you see the little cutscenes in the game, you do actually see that there's a bar in the background and there's yep. points and stuff like that. Yep. So it kind of does all fit in or in with, with with that theme. But the game was released across a um, wide range of formats, like a lot of Mastertronic stuff. So there was a, a ZX Spectrum original, um, Commodore 64 version, Amstrad CPC, Atari ST, Amiga, and the MSX. And there was, believe it or not, there was also an uh, a very very obscure arcade version that used the Amiga hardware because um, at one point Mastertronic decided they wanted to get into the um, arcade business and they developed an arcade system called the Arcadia and um, all the games that they made for the Arcadia were actually just they were just Amiga games converted to play on arcade hardware and for some reason strange reason 180 was one of the games they chose uh, it seems a, a strange choice but um yeah, strange, strange but true. Is so, there any reason uh, why they? Oh, I was going to ask: Is there any reason why they call the game 180? <laughs> uh, 180 uh, is the 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 best throw you can get in darts. Ah, I didn't think about that. I was trying to figure out where does 180 come from, but you're right. Yeah, uh, treble twenty, uh, treble twenty, treble twenty, treble twenties. Yeah, 180. So yep. it's, it's your best best throw. Yeah, I feel stupid because I played a lot of darts <laughs> and I never even thought of it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Because I got on, 140. On TV, I got 140 bunch of times. There was yeah. a very famous uh, darts commentator. I can't remember what his name was now. And um, what he actually used to do is he used to hear me go 180. <laughs> that, that's where they got it from. Well, it's funny at my at my work we have posters for inspirational you know inspirational posters that we've made and one of them's got a dartboard and it shows bullseyes and I go but you you know I always thought it was funny to do like on April Fools put in there you get better score if you got triple twenties <laughs> yeah but uh, nobody get that except for dart players so no because a lot of people mistakenly think that bullseye is the best and it's not mm-hmm. yeah. You want to get a 150. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Nerds. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I, I didn't. I never thought that. I obviously knew exactly what I was doing coming into this. Uh, <laughs> you know right that you can't call people nerds on a gaming podcast. <laughs> nerds! <laughs> hey, I gave you an email with a rundown of how to play the game. You yeah, you did. It. And, and I just, like, my guys glossed over. Sorry. <laughs> I love the game. It's mm. great. Yeah. So, yeah, so in terms of my ratings, um, I gave it graphics, I gave it a five. It looks identical to the Spectrum version. So uh, 
they they basically just got lazy and and uh used the spectrum graphics and did it in uh, monochrome and just copied the spectrum graphics over exactly so they didn't even bother to try and enhance them for the atari at all which is a bit sad but um it's obviously a way to save money what about the in-between screens with the uh, the bar in the background and stuff that that that's more colors they kind of added a little bit in but they're still pretty similar to okay. the um original spectrum screens that was the only bit where they did make a little bit of effort but the dartboard and the hand and all that looks identical to the spectrum version um sound and music though um so i gave the graphics a five uh sound and music i did give it an eight because uh it's got really good music from jazz seabrook he was a really talented musician he did a lot of great stuff back in the day actually funnily enough i was talking to him on twitter recently and um, he is a vicar now. He's a reverend. Oh. Yeah. In a yeah. So I was quite. I think he's like a Baptist minister or something like that. Wow. Which I was quite surprised to find out. I would just wonder what had happened to him. And randomly, I actually made one of my uh, Pokey Heroes videos that I've done on 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 YouTube. I did a, a whole video on Jazz Seabrook, and um, I obviously put it on Twitter, and he tweeted me back. To say, oh, nice. like, kind of really cool to see my music. Haven't heard that in years. You know, I forgot half the stuff I even did for the Atari. He didn't do a lot of Atari stuff. He was he was more well known for working with the um, the Yamaha chips that were in the the ST and the Spectrum. Did a lot oh. of ST music, yeah, and the Spectrum. But uh, yeah, he did a really good, great job with the music, especially considering he wasn't an experienced pokey musician. You know. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 yeah, the music's very good. Uh, gameplay went with a six, um, because there is not a massive amount of variation to it. You know, there is only the one kind of mode of playing the darts, um, and the the weird hand movement does take a little while to get used to. I think um, presentation seven. I think it's it's quite nice in that area. I, I like the little cutscenes um, that it's got, and. Uh, Overall, it's a six. I think it, it's it's one of those games where it becomes a little bit boring when you're playing it on your own. If you play it against a friend, it's a lot more enjoyable. You know, it's probably an eight out of ten if you've got someone to play it against. You know, so uh, Michael. Yeah. So um, I gave the graphics a six. Uh, I thought the uh, throwing hand looked excellent, but now when you started talking about it becoming from the Spectrum, I went, aha, it looks exactly like something that would come from Spectrum. But still, I mean, um, the thing I think that threw me off was the color scheme. It was just some real weird colors. Like it didn't look like – from the Spectrum. Exactly. I mean, as you said that, I'm sitting there going, oh, yellow. Those yeah. are yellow. Yeah. Um, and you know, so, and then I looked up some other dark games just to, as a comparison of how this compares to them. And I saw something called Jockey Wilson's, uh, Compendium of Darts. Yeah. And Zeppelin. that looks, yeah. yeah. What's that now? They, it was done by Zeppelin. They did the oh, okay, two Zeppelin. Wilson's games. Gotcha. Yeah. Another budget label. And it, it looked a lot better. So it looks like they took more advantage yeah. of the, the Atari's uh, capabilities than uh, this did. But uh, uh, Sound yeah. of Music, I gave it a 7. And I only give it a 7 because of that music. I thought that was excellent music. Um, sound effects, uh, a, a pop. Uh, it was. I mean, how much sound does a dart sound make when it hits a dartboard? They, I guess they tried to simulate it, but there really wasn't that much. Uh, there was that digital audio thing when you hit the triple 20s, and, or at least I, when I hit triples. And um, uh, it, w- but I couldn't understand what it was saying. Uh, it, it was saying. <laughs> oh well, then I didn't understand it correctly. 
But, you know, I'm always impressed when they try to push the, you know, the Atari chips to do such things. So I'm yeah. still impressed by the technology behind it. It just wasn't, I would have, if I were to uh, been coding that game, I would have said, nice, but we're not going to use it. We're throwing what, it away. Does anybody know what it was saying? I seem to remember that it actually says 180, but I could be wrong. I might have said that then. Uh, now that you say that, i got to go back and listen to it. I think it actually says so, 180. Well, cool. Now that I know what it says, I'm going to go back and play it and listen to it. Well, um, Phil, Phil, the No Swear Gamers computer will like that. Yeah. 7,800. <laughs> yeah. Um, I liked the uh, challenge of the hand moving around. I thought that was awesome. I did not know you could – you said that you could actually center it and get it to move in one area. Me, I just basically – it goes at uh, 45 you know, degree angles. Or angles yeah. of, you know, and I just let it go. I was like, okay, get it lined up, boom. You, you, you can kind of get it to center, but it's very difficult to do. It's sure. a very, yeah, it's a technique to it. <laughs> yeah, they, you know what they should have done, though, is they should have put a timer on that because it is difficult yeah. to get it lined up. So if you put a timer on it, even though regular duds don't have a timer, I think it would add to the challenge. Um, I would have liked to see more variations. Cricket, I mean, number one, I mm. want cricket because I love cricket. And, yeah. you know, you could have thrown 301. I mean, 301 is just 501, just I, you know, want to play a shorter game. But these are the standards, and I should have ex- expected it. The, um, and then, you know, the, the tune-up... Um, the, the timer, small nitpick, the timer still keeps counting down even though you can't move. There's points where, you know, they're writing up your score and the timer's still counting down. And I'm like, hey, stop it. I'm trying to get, I'm just trying to beat the clock. So, mm. um, as far as presentation, I give it a six. Um, the interest screen it looks nice. It just doesn't do anything. I mean, it's, it's a nice, um, I can't remember the graphics mode they use, but, um, it looks, it, you know, it's got, it takes advantage of all the colors the Atari can do, but, uh, it's 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 nothing special, and that intro music uh, I like it at the beginning, but they use it d- during when the uh, the computer player is playing, and eventually it gets a little old. You know, it just keeps playing and playing and playing, mm. and it's like, okay, I got it. You know, this would have been great at the beginning, and then maybe they could have played something a small little tune while the guy was shooting the dart, something not so uh, uh, distracting. I, I guess it is. I best mm-hmm. word I can come up with is distracting. But I love the chalk effects when it's drawing the score. Cool effect. And um, the fact that they show the player playing is nice. I mean, in other games, I've, you know, you've seen where you throw the darts and then the same board, then you see darts appear on the board. They actually showed a side shot of a guy's yeah. in hub. Very nice setting. So overall, I, I give it a six. I think it's a good game, but it does have its limitations. What about you, Bill? Uh, so I give the graphics a six. I actually like the use of the, the high res graphics mode. Um, and I did, I didn't mind the colors at all. Um, and, uh, I also, yeah, I really like that chalkboard drawing effect. It was cool. Um, sound of music, uh, I give it a six. We, we talked about it. It's, it's a bit quiet. There's not much going on. Um, but it, it sounds all right. It's passable. Um, gameplay, I gave it a six. I didn't play it much after the first go, I have to admit. Um, cause it just didn't really catch my interest. I, I, have other things to do in my life than <laughs> figure out a dart game. I don't play real darts, so I just yeah, sorry. Um, presentation though, I gave it a seven. I, I like the uh, the um, interstitial screens with the the computer opponent throwing his darts. Um, and overall, I give it a six. How about you, David? Bill, I'm really seeing as we, as we do more and more episodes of this podcast, I'm really starting to see a trend with you. Okay. <laughs> 
Anyway. Oh, budget game. What's oh, no. <laughs> what's his trend? His low scores or the... Yeah. yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to give you a I'm nickname. W- I'm going to call you well, Lowballer. I'm waiting for Yomp. When are we going to review Yomp? <laughs> I know, I know. Okay, fine. Well, Sorry. yeah, but... Bill, how much time do you spend in pubs? <laughs> That's true, none. Well, the one across the street's got a Star Wars arcade, but every time I go in there, it's, bro- oh, it's broken. Oh. So. All right. All right. Anyway, wow. David. Okay. For graphics, I'll give it a five. It's a nice-looking dartboard, and the hand has good details, although it seems kind of more or less monochromatic to me. Uh, as far as the pub scenes uh, where you're watching the other opponent actually uh, throwing their darts... Uh, I think the Spectrum CPC and 64 all look better, and but but I gotta love Mega Mix Buck Teeth. <laughs> For that, I'm giving this a five. <laughs> now, uh, sound and music, I'm gonna give it a seven. Not much in the sound effects other than when the dart hits the board. Uh, nice tune while uh, the opponent is playing, but not enough variety in the music. It does have the digitized sound speech when you score 180. Not sure what it said, but for now, it says 180. That's good enough for me. Uh, gameplay, I gave it 8. It's fun to play, especially with two-player. Heck, it starts. It's a classic. The constant moving hand makes it simulate how hard playing darts really is. Presentation, I'll give it a 7. It has a colorful manual. Uh, great opponents' names to play against like limp wristed larry or limp wrist larry <laughs> and jammy jim the world champ uh finishing combination chart is helpful in the manual overall i give this a seven so external reviews i couldn't find any um atari reviews for it sadly um but i found quite a lot of reviews for the other formats so i just uh compiled a list for a few of them so uh cmvg uh computer and video games reviewed the 64 version and really liked it and gave it a 9 out of 10. Yul Sinclair, um, Spectrum Magazine, also loved it, gave it a 9 out of 10. Uh, Zap64, uh, for the Commodore 64, gave it 70%. Tilt, uh, Amiga Magazine, gave it 13 out of 20. And last of all, ST Action, um, they didn't like this much either. Um, they didn't like Warhawk, or they didn't like this. And they gave it 57% for the ST version. So mostly positive reviews, apart from ST Action, who didn't seem to really like it. Um, and that's that's pretty much it for um, the, the budget games. Uh, two well, I liked two it. Quite different, quite two different titles this episode, even. Well, it's <laughs> nice to be able to get exposure to games you've never played before. Yeah. Well, that's why I picked 180, because I figured that you guys probably hadn't even seen it before, let alone play it. So. No. So feedback for this episode. First of all, we've got... Uh, Leonardo Suarez from Brazil. He writes, Hello guys, my name is Leonardo Suarez. I'm from Brazil and I have a boxed Atari Zegs with Bug Hunt and Flight Simulator. I was very happy to find a podcast dedicated to this amazing video game computer. Although my English is not very good, I can understand the topics. Sometimes listening again in some parts. I would like to make a suggestion. In the name of the episode, don't just use episode whatever but rather use a title that describes one or two topics in it it's easiest to recognize and seek in the future so uh we've we're going to go ahead and and do that so thank you for your feedback leonardo and uh he says congratulations on the excellent work i'm waiting for the next episode and here it is happy yeah there you go and uh another comment um from uh i know an avid atari 
fan in uh, Jeff Fulton. And he says, I'm really enjoying Kieran's input into the Atari Zegs game by game podcast. It's very entertaining. So thank you, Jeff. Indeed. Um, I know. I know you're. And Jeff um, is not related, correct? <laughs> he's not. He's not. He's. He lives. He lives in the US somewhere. But um, I know he's a big, a big Atari fan. So it's always nice to hear um, a bit of fan appreciation. That's that's pretty much it for this one. So our next episode, uh, it was meant to be in time for the Olympics, but um, the Olympics is now over. The Paralympics is nearly finished, so we've kind of. Uh, uh, yeah, we've messed that one up a little bit, but our plan was for a few <laughs> summer games. So we're going to go ahead and do it anyway. Um, it, it will nearly be the winter by the time we get around to the summer games. But, but, but winter games didn't come out on the Zegs, so hey, let's do summer games anyway. If you, if you have any thoughts on that or um, the games you've used so far, obviously please let us know. Um, I can reveal as well... Uh, that for Summer Games, I will be myself speaking to um, one of the guys behind Summer Games, uh, Chuck Somerville, who was one of the original designers. So I will get a interview with him for that episode as well. So look out for Hooray! that. Hooray! Interesting. And, uh, yeah, uh, you can go and find us online. So check out uh, www.xegs8bit.com. Find us on Twitter. XEGS 8 bit podcast on Facebook at Atari XEGS dot and dot 8 bit dot game dot podcast. I think we need something a bit more snappy there, folks. Uh, that, that's, uh, that's, that's a bit long winded, <laughs> but you can find us there anyway. And uh, special thanks. Uh, thanks again to Computer for giving us permission to use her song software and our show's theme song. Um, hardly recommend you visit computer.com for more info. She's just done a load of new stuff as well, so definitely go and check that out. She's released some new stuff in the past couple of weeks. That's that's really really good. Yeah. And, and uh, she's, she's rocking she's rocking the pokey, which is why why indeed. we love it. Yeah. Right? The pokey, exactly that, exactly that. So YouTube, we've got some thanks to some folks for posting YouTube videos of games which we've helped and stolen and uh, borrowed in different ways. Uh, so currency P. Um, go look at his videos for Pac-Man Arcade, Stacks 82, Pac-Man and Warhawk, uh, Ryan Coat for Donkey Kong, and our good friends at Atari Tekka. And uh, they're, they're, they're great guys. Uh, they did a really good video of 180. So, um, hola Atari Tekka, como esta? And uh, thanks to the folks who contribute and maintain the Atari Mania database, which is not probably the most valuable resource out there i think um for us atari 8-bit fans uh wikipedia of course and and google in general um we are a part of the throwback network a group of podcasters one thing in common we love old stuff and things and anything old especially games so whether it's games old movies old toys or simply old stories throwback network is the place to find them all so go and visit them at throwbacknetwork.net to learn more. And um, I think that's a wrap, guys. So, uh, yay! So in preparation for that, I had to rebuy all my $5,200. So... Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> hold on a second. Hold on a second. Do, so, okay. So hold on a second. Let's do this in. So in prep for that, I had to rebuy all my $5,200... Okay, wait a minute. I'm saying dollar. Hold on a second. What is it?
I didn't even put it. I didn't. What? What? what it's not even a dollar sign here. Okay, hold on a second. <laughs> Clyde acts based on his proximity to Batman. Batman. Oh my god. <laughs> this is why I should never do a review. <laughs> okay, here we go again. Okay. Clyde, who is orange, seems to stay out of the way. He moves at the same speed as Inky and Pinky and tends to separate himself from the other ghosts. Clyde will act based on his proximity to Batman. <laughs> Did I just say Batman? <laughs> I'm sorry. I totally need to do that. Oh, Batman. <laughs> I am the knight. I will get the high score before you, Batman. <laughs> Bane, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Batman. Ha, ha, ha.